Hello? <laughs> Hello? Yeah? I just, you know, answered the phone call and, like, all of a sudden I hear familiar giggling. It's yeah. like I never turned off the last podcast. No. How'd you how'd you feel when Sonic Underground started playing? Uh, I was, okay, so, like, I was listening to this last night. Right. Uh, at work, which was incredibly busy, by the way. I'll tell you about it later. And um, so that's what I was talking about. And then I got, I got kind of busy, so um, I didn't get off till after midnight last night. And I went to work at the hotel this morning. And so I kind of finished it on the way back home from that. So I'm on the highway when, I, when I'm listening to that. And whenever you show me on the highway, that's where my life is in its greatest danger. Because <laughs> you, you, well, you, you've seen me drive, so like I have a tendency to like you know jerk the wheel whenever I listen to something. So like I was, I'm on the highway, it's like I say no, and then like I don't hit the brakes, but like I, I slow down because I don't know I don't want to speed up and crash into a median or something. <laughs> oh man, I I had no intention of putting it in there until I just thought, wouldn't that be the greatest thing to just like troll him right there and then? Will the pain ever end? Probably not. Probably. <laughs> then why am I still breathing? Ugh. I don't know. It just keeps going. Hey, do you remember the uh, dream that you had of, uh, about me and, and the wedding bells? Because <laughs> that was what we were going to talk about, but we, we had no idea. We couldn't remember what it was, so. I, I remember, like, I don't know, like, like uh, it's really it was really, really vague. I mean, although at the time it was vivid. It was like you and I were talking. It was like it, it reminded me of like when I told you like like my choice for number two when you started screaming, and then like all, all, all of a sudden like all, all of a sudden I'm in a car at the edge of a cliff and then you and then and uh, Miria and Max like all all there and they're like helping each other push me push the car over the cliff or something, and I'm like just like r- running through the door and like right before I'm, I'm at the door like I, the car goes over and then I wake up. I, my dreams don't make any sense, so like I don't, I wouldn't try to ex- to explain subconsciously what they could possibly you're recording this aren't you <laughs> i just i just realized that of you're, course I am. you're building you're building up the show what better way to intro you know talking about your dreams <sighs> as if i were harleen quinzel you know Bertone used to beat me up pretty bad now oh, I'm i wouldn't put it past him he's a hateful man Lord have mercy. Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaking. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute, something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition! No, Boy Wonder, I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusaders. It took me three years to track down the Jade Gato, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls. Jody was a 
Here's the situation. I'm listening. Okay. Your brother and Josh Bertoni happen to be kidnapped by We're doing Kyle. this. <laughs> by We're, doing We're really doing this again. We're kidnapped by Lynn Kyle, okay? Uh-huh. Uh, because he felt like they were going after Minmay, and he didn't like that very much. Because he wants Minmay for himself. Yes. Him being the cousin. So one of them may die. Uh, it's pretty likely. Would you rather save your brother or Josh Bertoni? Here's a better question. <laughs> <laughs> Bertoni, my brother, and you are kidnapped by Kyle. <laughs> Who do I save first? That's too much. <laughs> I'm not going to let them. I'm not. I'm not going to let that <laughs> like get his hands on either of them. <laughs> Especially, especially when he, when, you know, him and his attitude is just. Uh, but you have to choose one. I don't, I don't, I don't play favorites, you know. It was easier with Minmay because she, she's, she, to some people, isn't real. So I'll, I would rather risk it all and you know try all or nothing rather than flip a coin and say Durr or choose him. Wow, what a cop out. It may be well, you know, it's, it's, it, I'd rather, I'd rather have a, <laughs> I want to have it all as opposed to some. Salute! I'm your host Stella, and this is Back Row the Oracle, of the Barber Grown Podcast, Episode 75. Yeah, I know for MMXIV. Back Row the Oracle is brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over five million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. Now, if you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. Examples of the prices you may encounter are, again, April's Background number 30 and Birds of Prey number 30, both for $2.69. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out milehighcomics.com. Finally, Backroll the Oracle is brought to you by tweakedaudio.com, high-performance noise-reducing earbuds. Purchasers who use the code TBUSAVES get 33% off their whole order and free worldwide shipping. TweakedAudio.com. Plug in, turn up the volume, and give us a try. Shipping. Shipping, in fact. So we, Donovan survived the trolling that I gave him on the shipper special, and he, he has returned for this regular episode. I returned for revenge because you thought you were going to get away with that. So Basically, basically. And someone else that, you know, just to segue into it, we have one email from somebody. Uh-oh. And, remember this? <laughs> I told you about this, this email. So this is from that student. You know, I only have two students that know about my secret identity. <laughs> and so I, I, I talked a little bit about this Jacob character, but I never mentioned the fact that Jacob played... 
this game, Would You Rather, just like I did, you know, at the beginning of this episode. And he said, Would you rather, here he is in my classroom, Would you rather Donovan Morgan Grant drop dead? (laughs) 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 Donovan Morgan Grant drop dead, or me, meaning Jacob, drop dead right in front of you. Now, this is number one. Who asks such a question? I've only started these death ones because he pushed me into it. But I ended up saying, well, I guess I'm going to have to kill off Donovan. And <laughs> Well, the reason was... You know, huh? what? <laughs> Did I not tell you that I, I chose to kill you off? I, I guess I just chose to forget it and I chose my own answer because it was better to... Yeah, choose your own adventure book. Well, my thinking was, well, I think Donovan would also agree with this decision. (laughs) Because, you know, we've lived our lives to a certain extent, you know. We're we're a little later, you know, in our 20s. And and Jacob, you know, he's like 16. He's got his life to live. And I thought, I think Donovan will agree with us. But, um... You thought wrong. Yeah, well, I'm gonna read his email, and then if you want... You said you want, were you were ready to dish out on this punk. So if you have anything you want to say to Jacob, you can certainly say so after the email. So, he says, in the last episode, you said that you dread the Reading with Stella segment because it drains my energy. This is very true. I just want to let you know that it is one of my favorite segments and that your voices for each character are spot on and hilarious. I hope you will keep with it. I continue to enjoy your podcast and look forward to hearing your comments. Congratulations on four years of podcasting. Jacob. So uh, I I wonder if you're gonna hop in on that one. You're oh, I'm I'm sorry. I, I'm too busy. I can't get over the fact that like, so myself or this Donovan Morgan Grant man. Yeah. Who would you rather see die before you? It basically. Like like like, like are our heads exploding or are we just suffocating? Is it? Like- <laughs> I'm sure it's not as violent as all that. Now he has said like some. There have been some violent things. His mother has sort of for forbidden. Any further talk of would you rather with death involved? <laughs> <laughs> so we can't do that. But yeah, he's he yeah, he's asked things between like him and his sister, and colleagues that have popped up and, and people that have like dated before. Like, would you rather kill off this colleague or this guy that you dated for a couple times? It's it's pretty interesting. See, because people when usually people will say like you know would you rather it, it yeah. involves dating rather than death. Oh, it does it. In my in my past experience, apparently you've been playing it wrong. It's, I, I, I like how I, I like how I play it. I guess yours always has a happy ending. Well, I mean, I don't die. Yeah. And, um, neither does do the people that I I, I choose to date no. when I when I play Would You Rather. You know, you and Jacob though have a lot in common. Really. Because <laughs> because he also likes women of the Asian persuasion. <laughs> <laughs> this is true though. This is this is this is a show I'm never going to let anybody listen to. <laughs> this this particular episode? Uh the past couple you've you've mischaracterized my my past dating history with 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 this sick fetish. I've I've been falsely characterizing it for several years now. Go to Bertoni, he's the one that always talks about this Vietnamese fictional character named Shashan. Oh, Shashan. Yeah, I don't even know. But you know, Jacob. Yeah, it, it does drain me of my energy. But I'm at least I'm at least gonna stick through and finish off that book because I think that would be a terrible thing uh, to not finish 
the Batgirl book. So I guess we'll see what happens. I'm a little concerned that there's some shipping going on between uh, Barbara Wilson and... Was it Black Mask? Yes. I like them. I like them because it's like whenever you do Batman, it's like, like wait, wait, it sounds like you're like putting your hand down your throat. It's like, it wait, it wait, hurts. I have we, to. We need to go, I'm Robin. Coughing because it's like hurting my voice. Like, when did when did George Clooney ever sound like that? I don't know. It's all because of Christian Bale. <laughs> it's all Bale's fault, as always. Well, I guess we've survived Would You Rather, so I guess we'll just get into the comics. So this is basically same old, same old for listeners. We're just getting doing too old and, and too new, and we'll see what it's like for someone who left the uh, TBU comic podcast to come on and talk about some new new comics. Yeah, we're going to see what I think about these new comics, especially Birds of Prey, which is always a title that I'm always... Like, jumping right into it, <laughs> we stopped that years ago. Yeah. Okay, alright. Issue 516 of Detective Comics. Uh, Sleep While the Serpent Smiles, writer Carrie Burkett, illustrated by Jose Delbo and Joe Giella, lettered by Janice Chang, colors by Tom Zoico. Dick Giordano was the editor. This is part three in the four-part Lady Viper saga. Barbara Gordon, a.k.a. Batgirl, is... is um, has just been bitten by a lady viper who is a half-woman, half-snake villainess. And she's commenting on how she's really, really exhausted and tired. And she knows that the um, it's a reaction to her being bitten by a lady viper. So she takes a secret capsule from her utility belt and um, makes an incision in, in the bite mark and tries to suck out the poison. But that doesn't really work because she ends up not falling unconscious uh, before she rides away in her bat cycle anyway. And she's found by some random homeless woman. After a scene at the um, Gotham City uh, HR department between her boss, Mr. Barton, and uh, their secretary friend, which is a subplot which I'm sure will be followed up in later issues of Detective Comics, we see a homeless man who's later named Charlie basically be set upon by Lady Viper. Uh, she says, well, I, she's basically hiding out at this boxcar, this random boxcar on a rainy night. And uh, while she doesn't kill him, we, we see a monologued panel where she committed several crimes. Batgirl is later found in the next panel. Basically, she's been found by these homeless people and that she's been asleep for days and her skin's turning gray. Mm-hmm. That's what they say. We don't, we don't really see it. As Barbara has these horrific nightmares of battling Lady Viper, and Lady Viper says, we're two of a kind. Why, look, you're a half-snake. And um, Barbara has a forked tongue and fangs, and the lower half of her body is covered in this sort of like a snake fin or snake tail. And she screams, no! What? What's going on? It was a dream! And you see these um, the old women say, there, there, dear, you're going to be all right. Welcome to the Undercity. Sewers were, uh, that house, you know, Gotham City's most homeless people. And apparently Batman's encountered them before in uh, Batman number 307, as told by Dick Giordano. So Barbara says, ah, thank goodness, it was all just a dream. Now let me stand up on my own two legs. What? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and she sees a gigantic uh, snake fin tail that she the exact same one that she dreamed about and this is not a dream her nightmare has just begun the story continues in the next issue tech 517 the same creative team a tale of two serpents where far absolutely horrified that um somehow <laughs> so bronze age this is this is actually more silver but uh indeed lady viper's bit bite has turned her into a half snake so batgirl uh, just sinks her face into her, her uh hands and 
tries not to sob. So she vows to um, turn herself back into a human and actually wills herself to do so, transforming her snake tail back into her own two legs. So, uh, although she's still kind of part of snake because she's talking in um, sort of a snake kind of voice, she hisses. And um, if I may be so bold, uh, she just she has certain lines like, um, "Yes, I may be back in human form, but I'm still influenced by the snake part of my being." That's that's a bit intrusive. So um, Barbara says, "I'm going to the the nearest hospital right now." And um, would you know it? The doctors say, "I don't know. I don't exactly know how to cure snake vampirism." So Barbara, frustrated, uh, vows to <laughs> she vows to find Lady Viper and uh, beat the crap out of her until she finds an antidote. And um, to make up for her lost uh, costume, she I, I think she kind of cuts the end of her dress into sort of a uh, bat shorts. Although she still has her boots. So mm-hmm. she can call it Bats, Batgirl Boots Gordon. So um, eventually one of the homeless people find uh, the Charlie guy who ran into Lady Viper in the last issue. And um, Batgirl's snake instinct makes him, makes her yell at him extra harsh, saying, Tell me where the boxcar is! So uh, she tracks down Lady Viper at the boxcar, and they get in a bit of a scuffle. Uh, Lady Viper starts strangling Batgirl, but Batgirl, in an effort to fight her off, turns back into the half-snake form, and Lady Viper says, By the Serpent of Eden! So, um, because Batgirl is part bat, part girl, part snake, she manages to outfight her and knock her out. And she says that she's getting a sample of the venom she needs to be cured, although I'm not exactly sure how she does that, and we can probably argue about it later. So, uh, several hours later at the hospital, she is cured of her snake vampirism and her speech impediment. So she goes back to the boxcar where she knocked out Lady Viper, who's who's conveniently still unconscious. But um, because she was asleep for so long in her half-snake, uh, half-human form, she finds herself turning into a real snake! What a horrible fate. A fate worse than death. And a ghastly end to a very dangerous enemy. The end. What a pleasant story that is. What a laugh! I just... Uh... I I, I, just, I would very much appreciate it if you uh, kind of lead her on this because you did <laughs> you did uh, you did uh, recap the first two parts of this four part yeah. saga, so I would like to, for you to go and, and sort of intro it because I'm sure people want to hear your thoughts first and we kind of get into it because I was very lost I was, I was not lost but like I was very confused. Well, it does for me. This took a sharp right turn. <laughs> I, I thought that the first two parts were really good. Um, yes, there was like this air of sort of supernatural stuff about it, but she's still, Batgirl was still playing the detective and everything, and I was wondering, like, is this going to be a battle for her life after she was poisoned and everything? But then all of a sudden she turns into this snake woman, and I'm like, oh man, this is a, a, a tad too ridiculous. A tad. Uh, <laughs> uh, just to go from like part to part, I, I take issue a little bit with the fact that Batgirl is, like, cutting her neck open. And, like, with with some small blade, I don't even know. She's making an incision. She doesn't even have a mirror. And she's, like, trying to suck out the bed. <laughs> <laughs> but she is. She's like, I'm going to make this incision. And then maybe she uses some sort of sponge. I couldn't really tell what that object was. Because, obviously, there's no one there to, like, suck her neck and spit out the venom and everything. Yeah, droppers aren't there to this issue. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> then, you know, I, I the smart sort of leaves from that point because she tries to ride on her bat cycle. I don't really know what her thought process is like that. And then uh, we get to the sub-city dwellers. And mm-hmm. 
I feel like the whole idea of them is very believable. Yes, you know, we've seen them before in, in Batman, as it was noted by our friendly editor. Uh, but it also remem- reminds me of Batman the Animated Series episodes where you sort of find those kids in there. And I feel like to have a system of people, uh, either a homeless person system or a system of people below below the city uh, could be very useful for vigilantes. And I'm also thinking about Sherlock, the BBC drama, just the fact that Sherlock has like his system of homeless people because they don't really, I mean, they're sort of invisible people that can find their way around places and no one's going to bother them so they can find information and everything. So I, I do like that aspect that they go and help her out. But you first are thinking, what is this random do-gooder doing? Why isn't he bringing her to a hospital? Like, why is the first thought process, let's go down to our our dwelling below ground, and, and then you've got, you know, these people gathering around her. So, I mean, that's that's the first issue. Uh, if we were to split it up, did you have any <laughs> any points to pull out on that first one? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I... I <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you know, when I didn't read these when I was first like, hey, you should read them. Because the first two parts I thought were like generally really good. I really enjoyed them. And then it just, when I was reading this, I'm like, oh man, this is not what I thought it was going to be like. So I did feel bad afterwards. Well, no, because I, 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 I uh, remember like last month when you released your last episode and talked about the two, first two parts and you graded them highly saying this is actually a really good story. Yep. And I was, I, was, I was listening, I was like, mm, that sounds interesting. So then when you um, uh, asked me to come on this episode and we were continuing the story, I was like, okay. I do I do agree that like I really like how Barbara's written before all the craziness happens because she's very like analytical and very like, you know, I, I, I think the writing is very dramatic. You know, it's, it's it's kind of a small thing, but I like her kind of being like woozy and poisoned and dizzy and right. trying to you know help herself. I, it's, it's kind of funny because when you mention her incision, you know, her incision to remove the poison, <laughs> the way it's written, it is she is kind of like you know you know kind of poking at her neck until she gets to where she needs to be. She's not actually looking to see exactly where she is because she could kill herself. I know. So she's like, uh, where is it? Out? No, out? No, out? Uh, there we go. So that's kind of silly, but I mean, I kind of liked that bit, but like, uh. It loses me when when it gets to like the the uh, the undercity and the half snake thing because the undercity is a it feels it feels of its time like you know like you know you have the Morlocks and X Men take a shot and then you have um just gen- generally I, it feels very Dickensian the whole like you know people living under where, like this is the undercity you know basically the place us hobos live and it's a good point that like why don't they I guess they shouldn't just, you know, like, like dump her on the sidewalk of the hospital because people might grab her and unmask her and stuff like that. But, like, it does feel very uh, ill-advised to just kind of, like, just put a blanket over her and assume that she'll live. I don't know. I mean, I kind of liked how it started out, but uh, it's – we should probably get into the next issue. <laughs> although, we, although we should mention that um, there's a no prize that uh, uh, someone's been shopping at Levitt's department store, so that's kind of cute. Yeah, yeah, they, that always pops up, isn't it? Yeah, frankly, well, yeah. I mean, before we get into that, <laughs> it's 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 just kind of interesting. Let's not forget Bob Barton. And you had said, you know, that's something else. This mystery will continue in the further adventures of Bob Barton and in, in in the future of Detective Comics. But we're continually just given these two panels. I mean, I feel like it was just two panels in the last issue. And it's like nothing is being shed on this Bob Barton mystery, who's giving him these letters, what these letters are containing. And throughout this entire time, and it's been it's like several years since Babs has been, it's been a couple of years, since Bab has, Babs has been working at this place that, you know, Bob Barton has been ruffling her feathers and he's just 
portrayed as a jerk. And now there's this mystery with him, but we're not really treated to anything more than two panels, and they're not really... So that that's just continuing to be frustrating. I don't know if, like, these two panels will continue, and all of a sudden we'll have an actual story that will go over a couple issues with him, which should be interesting since Batgirl will then have to put aside her personal feelings. But but that's just, like, a little aside on that issue, those, those two panels. Yeah. That, no, I, I was actually going to mention. Well, like, yeah, it's it's. I don't. I really, really don't want to be harder than I need to be on these issues because these, these are like decades old and this is of a different time. So, because I don't want to be, I don't really like it when people kind of you know live in the past and think that everything has to be Batman the Animated Series. But at the same right. time, it does feel very heavy-handed. Where like uh, Bob was like, "Hmm, any mail for me, Miss Gray would be too much trouble," and like you know being a jerk. And he's like, "No, not again. He sent me another letter, but it wasn't my fault." Me. It's got to stop. It's got to. And then just about faces and just kind of like calmly walks away. And like <laughs> that's kind of a problem with the art, but it's like there does seem. And I'll mention this in the next issue. There does seem to be a very mixed up priorities in terms of the drama, mm-hmm. because especially when when Barbara next issue kind of like starts freaking out, and uh, like it, it seems that like the art could really illustrate it to where you feel the drama more. And I think that it was actually very very good at the beginning of this issue when Barbara was the page where she is, you know, right. cutting the poison out of her neck. Uh-huh. I, 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 that's actually very good artwork. And I think that like it captures the drama more and it captures like the act the act of what she's doing and a, and a, the storytelling is is uh, good. And I think that like it kind of loses its way throughout the story, but um that's an, that's enough out of me. Yeah, I yeah. I guess my big thing is that she turns into the snake. Uh, and, and this is what I have an issue with is because why is she turning into this Viper-esque person, just like Lady Viper, rather than die? Because in the previous two issues, really the last issue, we saw that Viper explains her origin story. And it really was like this mystical statue that helped Viper become the person that she was. So I just have that big that, – that is really the big sticking point for me. And it, it just almost went into Spider-Man territory for me uh, because it just seemed like Batgirl turning into this huge snake seems like it just reminds me of uh-huh. that. Cra- Remember those weird, <laughs> that What's weird it? episode <laughs> in Spider-Man the Animated Series where he's got like this feverish dream and he's like a giant arachnid running around with a Peter Parker head? Oh, oh, <laughs> the, the, the Amy Nightmares. Remember that? And then, yeah. Well, um, that was, yeah, that's like that was a flashback when he first got his powers and like yeah. he passed out from the radiation. Right. And he, yeah. And then he woke up with that. But I mean, it just seems like I don't know, turning into a man spider or something like that. That's something that would happen. Or could she turn into like a a man bat? But I don't know. This snake business is a bit of an issue. Uh. So yeah, I guess mm-hmm. yeah. Do you agree I'm, or disagree? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't. I try not to, but like I, I want to agree that like it's. It's it's comic booky in a not good way because you're having this woman dressed up as a bat, you know. So that's that's one thing. Although she's not really bat like. Right. She's a bat girl snake. This this almost should have been a vampire story because the woman yeah. bites her. Uh-huh. She bites her like a bat. Right. right. And she turns into the animal, but it's not a bat. It's a snake. It feels like they got something very obvious, very wrong. Yeah, and that's how it started off in the previous issue, and something I even commented on was that her friend says there there's, like, some sort of vampire attack. And so, like, I think that could have been, like, a really good way to go about it, but, but they just sort of skipped it. Um, yeah, I, I go with certainly the, the drama and everything, and almost Batgirl, for me, seemed overdramatic. I picked out one line that, like, just made me sort of, like, knock my head with my hand. I'm beaten, doomed to remain in this hideous snake form forever. 
hiss. <laughs> 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 I, awesome. I, I couldn't believe it. I'm just like, where did this, like, she devolved into this emo. Is this 517? It was 517, yeah. Oh, yeah, she, oh, oh she, she's totally, that, yes, that panel is so emo. <laughs> She doesn't even. She doesn't. She doesn't look that angry. Her arms are just kind of just like sticking out, like you know, no, rather than no. Yeah. It's it's it's. Oh. Yeah, I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> uh, her, you know, you talk about the art, and I obviously there's, you know, in my comic class, I I ask a lot about, you know, oh, what's your pro and con for this before I get into discussions, and a lot of them, if we're doing older stuff, they're like, oh, my con is the art. And then when we do newer stuff, they love the art. I guess just that it's cleaner and everything. And I don't think you can knock this art. I, I think maybe now that we're so used to modern stuff, it, it's like an acquired taste and everything. But I've I've really been enjoying sort of the old style art and everything. One part or one piece with the art I didn't agree with is just her shredded costume. <laughs> you know, so her tail, I mean, these city, these sub dwellers had the, the foresight. I don't know how they did it, but they had the foresight of pulling off her boots so at least we had that detail she could run around with her boots afterwards but her tail like basically shreds like the bottom half of everything so how are we expected to believe that she's got like this short skirt on when for me like she would basically be naked below her utility i was thinking the same thing i was, I was wondering if, if i was going to get away with mentioning that but like no <laughs> like unless unless they had a sewing kit like like exactly there's yeah. a there's a breeze under there i know so and it's all shredded but then like the last half of of that story you see her flying around and she she keeps her like legs it's basically like she has like hot pants on kind of thing yeah basically which i don't know how that went about but at least this, the the sub city dwellers got to uh give her her boots um, Honestly, you would think yeah. that like um that like she would just change costumes before them but she she must stop for nothing I right guess. yeah uh, so besides this physical change that Batgirl feels, she also has this psychological, emotional change that she talks about, you know, the snake. You even brought that up in, in one of her quotes. And she even thinks she may turn evil and she sort of feels herself going that way. Uh, did you think that this was like a believable track that I'm feeling closer to the snake? I feel like I'm about to do some bad stuff. What did you think about that? I think it was believable. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's just, I mean, like, maybe if this story was set up that, like, Barbara was in a bad mood and she, she has, like, dark inclinations sometimes, like, you know, maybe, like, there, there was, if it started off, if the story started off with her, like, you know, beating up a villain more violently than she tends to or yelling at her dad or whatever, there might have been a thematic carryover. But now it's all of a sudden, it's like, you know, I'm a snake and I was yelling some more, I was yelling, yelling that guy, I might be turning to a snake, that might be my inner nature. It feels... It feels like it's just thrown in your face as opposed to just, like, you know, subtly written right. with any sort of craft or deft or... <laughs> I don't know. It's just... It's, 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 it's... You seem really upset about it. I'm not upset. It's just it's just the fact <laughs> of the matter is I, that we, we both read something that's, like, stupid. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hate to say it like that because this is... Well, it's also the fact that, like, these, these comics... This, this is the 80s, but, like, by and large, DC Comics especially were written for a younger audience, typically. I mean, they, they, the themes are getting stronger, and it's a bit more mature, but this wasn't written, you know, to, 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 to tell a thought-provoking story. This was written because to, so it could be a, a backroll story. Mm -hmm. And, like, I feel that, like, and I, I didn't want to bring this up because I read, I actually read the, um, the Batman stories that, that that carried over this, mm -hmm. and I and I really enjoyed them. They're they're in the same decade, obviously the same exact issue. But like, 
it felt like they took him. Uh, they took those stories. Uh, there was one story where he was chasing Maxi Zeus. Mm-hmm. There was one story where he involved the. Uh, it was like the College of Crime, which is kind of kind of goofy, but like at the same time, it felt like they took they took those stories a bit more seriously. And with this, I kind of liked how this like again how five sixteen started. Uh, I thought like the artwork and how you saw Batgirl kind of go through trying to get the poison out of her neck was kind of it was interesting and engaging. But once the whole snake stuff gets in there, it feels really comic booky in a very like detrimental way towards the medium where it's like you guys could have done a better job with this. I mean, I don't know if it's because Batgirl isn't as uh, heavy of a of a character as Batman, but she's been around for decades by this point. I would have thought that like. They would have, I don't know, I wish that a writer, I wish Carrie Burkett would have treated the story more seriously and less cartoonishly. Yeah, I, I can certainly, I certainly get that. And I just think there were just several points where, like, it just goes off track. Uh, and it's not only her, you know, turning into this snake, but, you know, all of a sudden she's able to get back into her Batgirl form, into her human form. Yeah, how? And, yeah, and in Viper, remember, Viper goes off, and that was one of the things I really appreciated about uh, the previous two issues and parts of the story is that Viper goes into her backstory and she explains that it took her years to get her training under control uh, <laughs> and like her powers and being able to shift from human to, to snake. And, and all of a sudden Batgirl does it in days, if not like mere hours. And I didn't really think that was believable. Yes, Batgirl is trained in other things and so maybe you could take the leap of, well... She has this like great control over her mind and body, so she could do it. But I just feel like uh, a power so new and strange that you wouldn't be able to handle it so quickly. So I did have a bit of an issue there, and that seemed like, well, we need to get her on our feet, literally. So we're going to do this to her. Yeah, it's just um, how, how does one who, who first realizes they have, a, they have a snake tail know how to turn them back into two legs? And just that, and like just the general drama of it, it's like you know, mm-hmm. like I'm beaten, doomed, hiss. It's, but like she says, I won't give up. I won't. I'll tear this town apart if I have to. But I must find Lady Viper. And that's not a very inspiring panel. <laughs> so it's, it's just like 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 both with the story and the drama the story is supposed to carry to me, it like really did fall in space. Yeah. Uh, I wonder how she actually got the venom from Viper, because that's not really shown. I guess is it just like w- when you see yeah. scientists do it, like and they use like this beaker and make the <laughs> make the snake bite it and then like draw the venom. I don't know. Did she? She's pulling on her thing? hair with, with a vial. It's like 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 this <laughs> this, this sample of venom from from like her hair follicles. It's, it's like that's not how science works. <laughs> Science, and you would know, of course. Yeah, I'm in my lab coat right now. I I wonder why Batgirl just leaves Viper. Like she gets the antidote and leaves. She doesn't even take foresight to think. Well, I should probably call the authorities to you know get Viper. And then, of course, when she comes back, I feel like this is all Batgirl's fault that she devolved into a snake because she was only thinking of herself. She said, "I had the antidote. I need to go." She comes back. It's too late. Now Viper is like a snake, and and Batgirl is basically okay with it. She's like, well, she liked snakes anyway, so now she can live with them. But that just makes Batgirl seem like a terrible person. Um, I I actually think you're being a little hard on her. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) well, I mean, well, well, she knocks her out. I, I agree that she should like tie her up or say. Hey cops, get this snake woman and bring lots of um, cages or whatever. Like she should do do that. Uh, she's on her way because she she's her, she's um her her main um, 
the central imperative uh, goal for her is, or let me rephrase that, it's imperative for her to get the antidote as fast as she can so she can't be this snake freak per, uh, permanently. So but I, I understand that. Like, I understand she doesn't want to be a monster anymore. But as you say, as Batgirl, she should take it up to, take it up to uh, make sure that the Lady Viper won't get away. So she's, like, taking it on faith. Like, I sure hope she's still knocked out unconscious while, where I left her, as opposed to, like, you know, she's not chained to anything. She's not tied to anything. The cops were informed of her whereabouts. And, like, how in the – I don't understand how – I mean, was she supposed to know that she would be a snake forever? Because that, to me, felt like a real out-of-left-turn field for the story to go. Like, oh, no, I was asleep in this form, and now I'm a snake forever. She, oh, no! She actually mentions it uh, right before she's about to rob that one house to get the snake statue. She says, like, oh, I need to go back in my human form because staying in my snake form for too long starts to, like, make me sort of, like, devolve. So she that had actually been brought up before. Oh, okay. well, it's still stupid. I mean, like, uh, <laughs> I, just, I, I, I really, that was, that was, I mean, in fairness, that was brought up before, so that wasn't out of left field. I don't know. It's just, it's just like, what, they, they, they kind of, it's written to be like this strategy, like this, oh, in the end, that's what was meant to happen. What a horrific tragedy that I've just witnessed. And now I'm going on for the rest of my day. It's like, the, the drama is totally limp. And I, I mean, th- I, I wouldn't care about it anyway because it's a stupid I- ending. But like they, the panels are getting smaller, so it's it's almost like the the writer is trying to bail out of the story while he still can. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. This is the goofiest thing I've ever read on the show. <laughs> Oh, oh man. Well, I guess, yeah, I guess that's all I had. You know, like I said, the story I think had a lot of potential, especially in the first two parts. Mm. Uh, but then it just, you know, like Lady Viper devolved into a really strange story. And I think it just lost something for me when Batgirl happened to turn into a giant snake and was just looking for a cure. I just thought that maybe there'd be like better aspects to it. But I mean, what? Yeah. Final <laughs> thoughts on this one? The uh, well, I did read the previous first two parts just to you know bone up on the story, and mm-hmm. I remember that like while the the Lady Viper character was was just goofy as all can be, like I, the the writing, like you say, the writing in the uh, Batgirl aspect of it was good, but it's just like if this wasn't the early '80s, I see I would see a real contempt for its audience in this story if it wasn't for the year because it's just I mean and like my my tiny my. Uh, my Chinese uh, horoscope symbol is the snake, so I'm, as you can imagine, deeply, deeply offended by the nature. No, I'm not. Oh my! But, uh, but uh, it's just really this. This almost feels like a Superman story. This this actually does feel like a Supergirl story rather than a Batgirl story. I mean, why is she fighting half snake people? But we've 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 I think we've we've appropriately beaten this to the ground enough. So do you have a grade out of ten then? Do we do point fives on this show? Yeah. Three point five. Wow, three point five. I don't know if I've ever gone that low. It's, uh, it's, this, this isn't good. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I never said it was. Uh, I'm going to bring it down to a 5. A 5 out of 10 for me. But, uh, yeah. there. Yeah, I'm trying to think of some redeeming qualities. There are some laughs. I, I thought it was pretty funny when the homeless man goes into the box car and he's like, Hey, I'm sorry to hit your legs. Why? No. He says, like, what's what about personal space? And it happened to be Lady Viper. <laughs> with with her tail getting in his way, which I thought was pretty funny. The fool. I know. Oh my uh, God! What's wrong with your legs? <laughs> That's what he says. Uh, so when I <laughs> when uh, we come back, we're gonna review Batgirl 27, which is a Gothtopia adventure, 
and Birds of Prey number 27, which at that the time that I was talking with Donovan thought it would be Gothtopia, but it just leads into it. Uh, but first we have Zias' Radio Hour featuring Mad World by R.E.M. We'll be right back. good one which originally i guess wasn't by mad world by rem but um yeah it's it's a uh, cover i think isn't it something like that it's a slow down version right yeah yeah i actually saw a um a um justice league music video using that song and there's a lot of hawk girl with it oh really i did i've seen yeah a music video with her and green wizard you know what i was watching the other day i love her oh wow it was sad you're not crying, are you? No. I don't, I don't know if I can take that. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I was actually watching uh, Ancient History the other day. I'm not Hello? seeing it. 
I've actually not seen that in forever. I forgot how long it's been since I've seen that episode. It's so good. It is. It is. Well, I did want to give some information on Gothtopia in case people have no idea what's going on. But it, it all starts off in Detective Comics number 29. Wait, what? In Detective Comics number 27, which was at the point of its solicitation. Going to be 96 pages, but we lost about 8 pages. We didn't know what was going on. Listen to TBU for more. Mm. And writer John Lehman and artist Jason Fabick were going to write the final story in that particular issue uh, and is called Gothtopia. So the story is depicting a, a utopian Gotham City. Crime is basically eliminated. And uh, as part of Gothtopia, there will be a variety of tie-ins from other titles in the Batman family that will be set in the world created in Detective Comics. Just what is Gothtopia about? Well, John Lehman describes it as Gotham being a city of dark shadows, and there's been plenty of dark reflections of various heroes and villains over the years. But what happens when we see a light reflection? And if this Gotham is so much better, why would anybody possibly want it any other way or to return it to normal? So other tie-ins that will pop up are Catwoman, Batgirl, obviously, Batwing, and then Birds of Prey. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I actually really liked uh, the intro story in Detective Number 27. And I think mm -hmm. of my my other two cohorts, Dustin and Joe, I was the one who liked it the most and like had good thoughts about it and like what it meant and everything. And I just read 28 today and I thought, oh, man, it's still I'm still enjoying it. But I guess we'll have to see. I mean, have you did you read Detective Comics 27? I did. I did. <laughs> Uh, what were your thoughts on the initial story then? I have never hated anything more in my. No, it was good. What I think is it was... with you being so contrary? I, no, 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 no. I mean, I mean, I. And I touched you this before. When I was, I was reading that issue, Detective Twenty Seven, which has a bunch of short stories. I was like, oh, this is cool. This is kind of interesting. I'm liking where this is going. And then it got into like this actual New Fifty Two story, and I'm like, all right, what are we in for this time? And like, you know, everybody's in the day, and everybody's like wearing these bright white, you know bright costumes and there's catbird and that's a name and then there's like a, like bluebell and all these other crazy names and but like as a as layman was writing the story as i was get, making my way through the story i was like this is actually really really interesting like the whole like you know batman thinks something's wrong but or is he called batman in that story or do they change his name too i don't remember oh yeah it's so batman Okay, like, like he, he thinks something's wrong, and then like all the other characters come out of nowhere, like, oh, Batman, uh, we see that, like, uh, it's, just, it's just this really weird kind of, like, delusion, but, like, the way it's told, it's, it feels interesting enough that, like, I'm, I'm actually really down for it, I mean, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. whether, we'll see whether I read the rest or not, but, no, I'm actually, I'm actually like, in terms of, like, what, you know, oh, the big story is Gothtopia, I'm actually interested, I, I really am, I'm not kind of, like, you know, oh, this is, the, this is the next 11 issue arc that we're going to be dealing with, I mean, this is actually a very intriguing premise, and it's – I certainly can't see where it's going, so I, I think it's a good start. And um, this uh, Batgirl issue, I'll say, doesn't turn me off from the story. Doesn't turn me off. I mean, if there were ever, like, a, a great <laughs> description of something, that's that's got to be it. Doesn't turn me well, off. You know how much I love the English language. Apparently, not a lot. Uh, so, <laughs> so we're going to do Batgirl 27, which happens to be a Gothtopia adventure, and this is called A Healing Curse. Writer Gail Simone, artist Robert Gill, and colorist Blonde. 
Welcome to Gothtopia, Gotham City, America's safest city, America's happiest city, an almost completely crime-free utopia where dreams come true and everyone leads the life they want to lead, a place of sunny skies, safe streets, gleaming skyscrapers, and brightly costumed heroes. This is Gotham City. This has always been Gotham City, and if you want to survive, you have to believe. Angela Ramirez seems to have a happy life with a good job at an ice cream factory (laughs) headed by none other than the Joker. She also has a family, but she's been having some terrible dreams that seem to break through this perfect world. Babs, holding her very own gothtopia Wooby Bear, who remembers Wooby from Batman mm-hmm. the Animated Series, is woken up by her father, shouting that he is making bacon and will feed all the pieces to Alaska if she doesn't get up. So that cat's pretty fat, and she decides she needs to get up, if not only for the health of her cat, then for her own well-being. She loves her mornings with her father. Her mother happens to be out shopping. James Jr. is helping at the homeless shelter. Bless that child. <laughs> and sometimes she just gets overwhelmed by all of these blessings that she has. Her dad goes off to work, and she suits up as Bluebell and goes around the city on a sunny day patrol. She is suddenly ambushed by none other than her BFF, Sharice Carnes, a.k.a. Daybreak, uh, who seems rather similar to Spoiler at this point, you know, just sort of this goofball and clumsy. Uh, but Babs thinks it's just too hot for sparring, and the girls suddenly hear Ode to Joy playing on an ice cream truck below. Meanwhile, at the ice cream factory, Ramirez goes about a surprise closed inspection of the flavoring vats, so your spider sense should be tingling. Then a group of elementary students arrive for a tour. You know, bad stuff happens with kids. One girl wants to know if they will get free ice cream at the end of the tour, and Ramirez replies with tear-filled eyes that they can eat all they want. (laughs) Uh, Back with the girls, Daybreak wants to get some ice cream, but Bluebell is clearly turned off by the Joker logo and doesn't want any. And this is clearly a good idea, since suddenly the girls start hearing screaming from below as anyone who actually got an ice cream has dropped dead. So they just played Would You Rather with Jacob, and they lost. (laughs) (laughs) Bluebell tells the driver to call in the other trucks, but the radios are down, again thanks to Ramirez and an inspection. Then she tells Daybreak to call GCPD and get them to pull other trucks from the road, but in a shocking turn of events, they're all around the park. Bluebell tries to single-handedly stop everyone from eating the ice cream. She even punches someone in the gut in order to get him to throw up, which I thought was comical. Uh, She learns from a fake job and I say fake because who stops in the middle of a run to get an ice cream? Please. Uh, that there are children at the factory. Then at this factory, Ramirez hears about the poison ice cream. She dons a Joker-looking mask, shoots her assistant, calls herself Mother Mercy, and goes about proving that there is something wrong with the city. Boobell and Daybreak arrive at the factory, where McKenna is happy to see them, but Bullock tells them that Mayor Cobblepot... Wah, 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 told them to get a sniper in place, a little heavy, and just tells the girls to leave. Inside, Ramirez tells a happy little tale of her family and how she lost them, though she can't quite remember all the details. Her family apparently went roller skating, but she was sick at the time and couldn't join them. Somebody killed them, placed a weird smile on their faces. So if we can remember back, this is all happening. Donovan, you were still on the show then. This is happening (laughs) during the death of the family, and they were all killed by Joker because, if you remember, he he had kidnapped Bab Sr., cut off her finger, and they were inside a skating rink, and those people were 
are. Post a Batgirl for some reason. Yeah. But for some reason, Ramirez feels joy or felt joy, you know, at remembering all this. And really, how could that be? Whenever she sees the Joker logo, she feels something strange inside. The news channels wonder how this could all possibly be happening, especially in this utopia. And Daybreak blows up a cop car for distraction. Mother Mercy is ready to spoon feed all the children some of the poison ice cream. The sniper's ready to fire, and Bluebell bursts through the window and disarms Mother Mercy. She is suddenly awakened by the Joker logo, flashing back to when Mother was tied up by Joker in the skating ring, her mother. Mother Mercy sees the expression of remembrance, but she's shot by the sniper before they can further confab. And Bluebell wishes she were so dreaming because the truth of it all is too hard to face. Does Batgirl escape Gothtopia? Find out in Detective Comics number 28, which I just read. Spoiler alert. She, at the very end, has like a scarecrow mask on, which with along with uh, Batwoman and some other people. So right now it doesn't look like it. Uh, but next in the actual Batgirl, Bat bloodsuckers in Gotham. So there's not the snake suckers. No, there's the yeah, there's the vampire story you wanted to do. I do have some yeah, some discussion questions that I used on TBU, and so I thought they'd be good to talk about over here as well. What are your thoughts on? And I mean, I guess you'll have to think back to to other parts of Batgirl when you were still reading it. But what are your thoughts on the changes from the real world inside Batgirl to what was going on in Gothtopia, and which did you like, or which did you think worked, and which didn't you like? And just for like an example, you have Nightfall is actually Daybreak. And instead of sort of this villain, and we're going to talk of this is a point I actually want to bring up, but instead of this villain, they're actually really close and, and really good friends. So that's just a change. That's just an example. I was actually a little conflicted because I wasn't sure exactly how this universe should be played. Is this like the 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 Happy Day mirror opposite of Gotham? And like, I found myself asking a lot of questions, and they didn't really like you know like like make me hate the issue, but it's like. If uh, I remember in the Detective Comics at 27, crime was so low that like, but there was a lot of suicides. I'm I'm just interested, like you know, I I find myself a lot of asking a lot of questions which probably aren't pertinent to the uh, issue itself. But like, if if this is such a wonderful place and this is such a wonderful town, why exactly is she a crime fighter? Uh, you know, like I, I don't know. Certain things I was wondering, like um, you know, Bullock seems to be the same kind of. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not exactly sure. This was sort of like billed as the, a, a utopia of a city, but they were kind of reacting. Once you know crap start, started happening, yeah. they kind of reacted like it was just Gotham City, and people weren't re- responding as though this was out of the normal. It's like you know, oh well, we have a situation here. We better get a sniper rifle. And I mean, I'm kind of I'm kind of at odds as, as to how they want us to kind of have uh, perceive this this uh this universe. That just kind of felt to me as as very sort of like uh. Like half, you know, the middle of the road where, like, you know, it's, it's really, really nice, but when things start going down, they kind of, it's Gotham City again. No one's kind of saying, like, you know, well, this is strange, or no one's saying, like, you know, well, this is really, really messed up or whatever. It's kind of like, you know, same old, same old. And I'm just wondering, like, you know, how far away from the usual Gotham City is this supposed to be? So I was kind of asking myself that throughout the entire time. Between that and just uh, the general. I mean, because at first it is kind of very different, like you know the Joker ice cream area, and obviously Barbara's family, like you know, oh James Jr. is helping down, you know, at the homeless shelter, ha ha ha, that's not how he usually acts, that kind of thing, and you know her being in, in good standing with her father, which I know is different uh, with the other issues, mm-hmm. but I mean, it felt like halfway throughout the issue they kind of dropped the whole Gothtopia aspect, just had them in different costumes. It felt like, what do you think about that? What do you mean by 
just drop the gothtopia and have them in different costumes. I feel like, well, it's like I mean, I think that like with with this sort of like super criminal uh, scheme, they kind of I, I don't know. Like I, I feel that like there would there would have been a bigger reaction because this this feels like a, like a normal Gotham City sort of like you know deadly ice cream kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they have this woman calling herself Mother Mercy. I feel that there would be a little a little bit more of a comment on how this differs from their business as usual in Gothtopia. And the, I don't really get a uh, the characters responding to that. It's sort of like, oh, okay, there's there's a crazy serial killer supervillain. We better go deal with her, rather than like you know, well, this is Gothopia. We don't really get those here. I, I mean, maybe I was expecting something different than what, what, we, what we were meant to get. Yeah. I well, I guess we do get that uh, this shouldn't be happening from the news people. Oh, at least, well, because that's one of the points where there's a news person in front of the ice cream factory and saying, "Why is this happening in Gothtopia?" and then refreshes everything about all the the suicide rate being at an all time high and why should this be happening at this utopia that we have here. Uh, so it is brought up there, but Backerl, you're right in saying that that is not happening with them, and I think that even though crime is at a low it still happens which i think is the the reason why there is still a need for people to be going around and everything but i think that bat well bluebell is still wondering why is there such a violent crime right here and that a woman has kidnapped all these children she's about to kill these children which seems like very stepped up from what we had seen going on in detective comics number 27 which that was sort of like just a robbery with snatch and grab sort of situation um so i do see what you're saying i feel like it is somewhat explained in there but it is yeah I, I enjoy Gothtopia because, I mean, one of the, like, most obvious differences is just the fact that Bluebell's running around in the day, in the daylight, and these, these heroes are very much celebrated, and and even more so than Batgirl running around in, in the daylight uh, Batman was in Detective Comics, which I think is pretty interesting, but it just seems to really... Uh, get at the heart of of what these people would really desire and want. And, of course, I, I loved the interaction. I mean, part of it was a little weird, you know, obviously with Jeans Jr. and the mom and everything, but I, I really liked her interaction with her dad because that's sort of the interaction that really deserves to be in comics anyways. Yep. Uh, which is why it's such a heartbreak that it's not there, and now it's even worse and, like, very broken after um, – Backroom murderer. So that's uh, that's one that I really do enjoy. McKenna being excited when those heroes show up. I think that uh, Backroom really does want a good relationship, not only with McKenna but with the police force. Uh, McKenna is just sort of that go-to person that we've seen. Bullock is sort of how he's always been. Um, so I don't think that's much of a shift. But I think that the strange thing though is is the nightfall because if these are desires, then are we supposed to believe that Batgirl deep down feels like she could have a relationship with Nightfall and like wants her to be her friend? Like I feel like Nightfall that could have been better played by somebody else, like Bat, like someone already in the family, like Batwoman. Or it would have been awesome if Dick Grayson were in here and they were able to <laughs> uh, be go- well. Don't you think like someone no, yeah, more in line with um, where where it had already been and maybe something that has been broken? But this seems like such a stretch. Like let's pull Nightfall, who has been sort of this this arch nemesis for the past year, and now she's going to be her best friend forever, which is a complete turn rather than something that could be 
really happening and, and isn't at that point in time. I mean, what are your thoughts on that or any of the other ones that I mentioned? I try, I was trying to remember if there was any part of Nightfall during that those when she, during her appearances where she said, oh, Batgirl, we, 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 we would make a great team if only we could join forces. I'm trying to remember if she's ever said that. She probably has. Or Barbara said, like, you know, or I can, I can see where she's coming from, but she's a killer, so I can't. Like, I'm trying to remember if, if that was ever kind of heavily hinted that those Yeah, and I mean, be... well, because Nightfall's original, like, idea or goal is to destroy the crime as well. And she only keeps the crime that befits her, but she does it so heavy-handedly that obviously Batgirl is never going to accept her. Because, I mean, she cut off that guy's leg, remember? Was, was that probably the character that, like, you know, her boyfriend killed her family and she kind of, like, went with him or whatever? Which was actually Nightfall. Nightfall was probably the one who killed her family. Yeah. That, 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 that horrible origin story, which I don't Yeah, know. and she had that guy trapped in a cage and everything. Ah, uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, and, and like, trying you know, to block out your your time with the... her. Her, uh, I'm looking at her costume right now. She has like this. Uh, she has like that. Um, that uh, Victorian era party style mask. Yep. The spoiler hood. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of like a knight and squire kind of like armor around her her uh, costume. Like I'm kind of seeing, or maybe I'm reminded by that. And can you make out the 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 symbol on her chest? What is that exactly supposed to uh, reference? Like Daybreak doesn't exactly uh, ev- evoke a certain imagery to me, besides like you know, a sun over a dawn or whatever. That that kind of looks like I don't know certain organs in the human body. <laughs> what, what? Uh, I think that's still the. Um, I'd have to look at what Nightfall looks like, but I feel like that's very similar to the the symbol that Nightfall has on her chest. Okay. And um, Barbara's called Bluebell, but she has a bat symbol on her chest. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's messed up. I mean, I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying like you know, damn you, Gail Simone, for that, because I, I really don't bother. This issue really didn't bother me, although you know, it's Simone's writing. And I might get into it a little bit later. I mean, this issue was kind of interesting to read. I was just kind of confused by what kind of world they're trying to set up and what, how they're laying off the mystery with Detective Twenty Seven. It was very much Batman's perception, and uh, you know, the suicides were one thing because people did say suicides are, are at an all-time high. This mm-hmm. is odd. Here, I really did get the sense – I mean, you, you explained it away, but I did get the sense that, like, once the crime started happening, they kind of jumped into it. And maybe as superheroes, it's, they're not supposed to think about it too much, but, like, everyone started uh, reacting as though – it's like, well, this is, you know, bad, but not out of the ordinary, although mm-hmm. maybe the news people did. Yeah, just about the suicides – you know, I just read Detective Comics 28, and he, he thinks about uh, – well, Ivy. He's working with Ivy, and Ivy, I like, explained to him uh, that – that Crane ends up going out and, and conducting these experiments with people. And so Batman does, he, he realizes, oh, this is why suicides are so bad. So the people that he's experimenting, this is Batman saying it, they don't remember, but they're damaged even on some level they don't know or understand, which is why Gotham is having a rash of suicides, which I thought was like a really good explanation because, oh. <laughs> well, Crane is like hitting these people at these moments that, I mean, they're they're very... Well, they're enjoying life, basically, and so to happen upon them and then conduct these fear experiments are, like, hitting them so intensely because they wouldn't expect anything bad like that to happen, and then all this is going down. So I just think it's a really cool story. So I talked about, you know, who would be be better placed instead of day, well, instead of nightfall. Is there anyone else that you would have rather have seen Batgirl running around with and, and being good friends with and teaming up with? Well, I mean, this is supposed to be sort of like a uh, a mirror world 
I honestly, and I'm not, I'm not advocating for this, but like, if she was with Alyssa, that would make more sense to me because you know it would imply that she wishes she could spend more time with Alyssa, okay, or she could be more open with Alyssa. That to me would make a lot more sense. You know, if she was with like Dick Grayson, that would make all the sense of the world. Right. Although that 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 might that might um, smack too heavily of. Uh, the uh, calculator's hallucination back during Stephanie's series where she was married to Dick and all that. But, <laughs> you know, remember that? Yeah. But, because uh, Barbara doesn't have any friends in this, in this continuity, as we're constantly yeah. told. So, yes, I guess we have to go with, you know, her enemies, which is right. Freudian. But, no, I mean, I, I would imagine that Alyssa would be kind of a thing. Although, I suppose, I suppose that, like, this is a universe where it's not just her imagination, but, like, Daybreak is a character, I mean... There were plenty of characters in Detective Comics 27, so maybe Daybreak is a character that exists in the Gothopia version. Like, like if this is a Batman issue, she would still be there. Not necessarily Barbara's hallucination, although the story's not over, so I'm not exactly sure. Why do you think Alyssa's not even present in this story? Because she's not even present in the usual issues, or barely. So I know, I know she isn't every now and then, but like, honestly, like I've always felt that like that character, whether you liked her or not. She's, she's supposed to be a supporting cast member, and she's only there so Barbara can apologize. She doesn't have <laughs> her own story. She doesn't have her own effect she on Barbara. Goods. Yeah, just, just, and does she, she still, dates psychotic people. Does she still fight the power? Oh, that hasn't happened in a while. That's 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 lost potential right there. I I tells you what. Um, <laughs> Oh man, it's just like <laughs> like use with what you got. I mean, Grant, like, Nightfall is a character. Charisse is a character, but I mean, maybe I have to. I'm not going to do this, but maybe I would have to reread the Nightfall issues to get a a sense of a kindred spirit between the two characters, mm-hmm. because otherwise, I I don't really get it, you know. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. Although you sent you sent me the image of a uh Charisse's original costume where yeah. she does have that symbol. Yeah, so it's just light rather than dark. So everything's very, yeah. So enough about I guess the gothtopia aspect of it. What are your thoughts on the villain? Which I thought, you know, is pretty interesting and and I do like even though I hated the story. I do like that it connects back to something relating to Batgirl rather than something completely random and and you know having this terrible loss of family with the Joker during death of the family. But I do have an issue just with the fact of if she realizes to a certain extent that Joker was the cause of all of this and she's very discomfited by the Joker symbol and everything, why does she end up almost becoming Joker, putting on that mask? I mean, if you're going to do something and, like, make a splash, wouldn't you be fighting against the thing that you're, like, uh, you're hating very much rather than becoming it? I So that's one of the problems I have. But what do you think about Mother Mercy and putting on the joker mask okay uh i thought the story was good and that like that her trauma made her go go nuts actually no that's not what i didn't like but like i mean like i like the fact that like she was kind of doing this because she had a reality lapse and she was like you know this doesn't make any sense i thought the whole mother mercy thing was you know it's that aspect of gail someone's writing that i never like i mean i don't like her villains and it's always very maudlin very, you know, very like very like you know, playing the little violin for the for the audience. It's like, oh, she lost her family. That's why she's a villain. Can't you understand? And it's just like, and then, she, and then her villain persona is like, you know, like, oh, we mustn't dawdle. Come, little angels. I am Mother Mercy. And I'm just, I don't know, just like you know, just beating my head against the wall. It's just, <laughs> I can't, I can't say this with any defi- uh, definitive knowledge of how to explain it. But it feels like, like for some reason, a lot of her villains feel like they they share the same 
maybe it's the same writer or whatever, but like uh, there was grotesque mm-hmm. who were like you know like oh these beautiful you know the, these beautiful things or whatever, and then there was a Gretel, and like um, they feel that, I don't know they they have that sort of language about them where they they adopt this sort of like manner of just communicating mm-hmm. that. That honestly annoys me, <laughs> and like I think it's just it's just I think it's just you know for good or ill that's just a style of uh, Simone's writing, you know. And it's weird because when I look back at her uh, Secret Six stuff and her stuff pre New Fifty Two, there was some of that, but it, it wasn't as as like overt and like in your face as I think that it, it has been in Batgirl. But um and and that gets a lot that gets a lot into it uh with the movement. But um I I kind of like the story, I didn't really like the character. Okay. Did you uh? I mean, you guys, I've not heard uh, the comic cast. Do you like the character or dislike the character? Uh, we, I can't, I honestly don't remember what the guys say. Um, I, I just, my main problem was just the fact that she was becoming the Joker, even though that was the thing that destroyed her family. And I felt like that's not what you would do. I mean, if you're going to become a villain, that's one thing, but you're not going to become the villain that uh, basically destroyed your entire life. I, I like the fact that there are people breaking through and feeling like there is something really wrong with this. And I referenced in the comic cast, which is one of the reasons why I really like Detective. And But I men- mentioned, shoot, now I've forgotten what the thing, but X-Men, No More Mutants, what did that oh, happen? Uh, House of M. House, House of, M. of M, thank you. And I just kept thinking about the Spider-Man House of M, where like he has this uh-huh. wonderful life, right? <laughs> With Gwen Stacy, but he knows something is amiss, and I think to a certain extent, a lot of the Marvel characters did. And that's why I really like this, is that some of the characters are breaking through and realizing there is something really wrong with this. Um, Whether or not the way to go about proving that to people is to destroy all these little kids uh, may not be the best thing, but obviously suicides aren't helping either, so. I was wondering um, if this whole scene was for to basically do suicide by cop, but like... She goes, I'm just having a very bad day, all right? I mean, she started this crap. It's like, I know. Yeah. Kind of logic is just kind of annoys me. I don't even know. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, those are those are my thoughts on it. I I thought, you know, it was a decent. Yeah, I thought, I thought de- decent's a good word for it. I mean, I I, 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 didn't, lo- I didn't love this issue, but I, I didn't hate it either. I thought I thought it was it was entertaining for what it was. There were things I didn't care for. But I think, I honestly, I think I, I got more out of, even though I had questions about it, I got more out of the general premise of Gothtopia mm-hmm. than the story itself. So um, I overall thought this was okay. Okay. What would you give it out of 10? 6.5. 6.5. Uh, I'm going to step it up a little bit and give it a, a 7 out of 10. I, I've generally been enjoying Batgirl for whatever reason. Well, I guess I can't say enjoying. There's like a certain level of enjoying mm. <laughs> Batgirl that I've been having. Uh, and this this has not been bad. So as You're getting as soft, Stella. No! <laughs> I, you know, I've made a promise to my audience that, you know, I, I'm not like this terrible person who hates What about your promise things. to me? <laughs> Who doesn't hate all things, and you know I will tell you when I like it. So, so for right now, you know I I am liking it, but that's all we're gonna see of Gothtopia in this, and we'll see what vampires uh, are like in Batgirl. I will say that I, I I do like the cover. In fact, I like that cover a lot more than Batgirl number one. Uh huh. Which I which I mean I think that was mainly due to the circumstances and my butter feelings. <laughs> But I found that cover by Adam Hughes yeah. extremely obnoxious. But I like this cover because this, this cover that kind of leaps off the page. Yeah. And I'm actually going to have a special guest host next month. Boo? <laughs> I'm keeping it a secret. Oh, my. Yeah. 
Uh, next up we have Birds of Prey number 27. I'm a little bit bummed that it's not a Gothtopia version. And I'm ready for you to rip this one apart. I was disappointed <laughs> in it, to be honest. But uh, this is called Loose Ends. So after several long issues and, and more than I would have liked, we're, we're sort of at the end of the Kurt Lance journey, hopefully. Writer Christy Marks pencils Daniel Sampere with Ropes and Rocha. Breakdowns, Scott McDaniel, Inker, Jonathan Glapion, and colors Chris Sotomayor. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. Scott yeah. McDaniel? I'm sorry. Do you know him? Do I know? Scott McDaniel is a um, is <laughs> probably the most iconic uh, Nightwing artist from the 90s. Why is he here? I, I, I don't know because I honestly cannot see it in his artwork. Well, it says breakdowns. I don't honestly know what that means. Breakdowns is essentially like he, he kind of like loosely – uh, sketches out the panel layout, and Daniel Timpieri, uh actually draws, fills in the drawings, and Robson Roca and Jonathan Glapion, I imagine, like fill it. So basically, there's like four four artists on this book, essentially. Basically, that makes sense. Everyone seems on edge and barely talking as they return from their mission against Basilisk and fly to an ocean barge turned floating fortress owned by the secret benefactor that helped Batgirl out a few issues ago. When they land, some men attempt to take Kurt's container in order to help him. Canary freaks out. Then out rolls Eddie. Roll out. Boom, boom. Roll, <laughs> boom, boom. Ba-dum. Boom, boom. <laughs> so much money. I know. So Eddie is the benefactor. And a woman who actually met Dinah and Condor both in different circumstances. Dinah met her in a coffee shop. Condor hailed a taxi for her apparently eddie aka mother eve has been alive for a long 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 time and given birth to many children her blood has passed through several generations and it seems to cause unusual abilities to appear she therefore believes that donna and condor and i'm just leaping here but potentially other metahumans are related to her however distantly so maybe static shocks related to mother eve she then mentions that, and let's not, I mean, Donna is white, but I think, you know, we can just, it works out. Uh, <laughs> she then mentions that she tries to stay away from other immortals like Vandal Savage and Father Time, but one man in particular is her enemy, and that happens to be Raish or Raz Al Ghul. Then in pops Claudine, aka Uplink who was working with Basilisk, but not really, who ends up destroying some listening bugs that were transmitting back to Raish. We then flash to Raish and hear that he has waited decades for this moment and will not be denied. So again, we have mystery. Back with the birds, Eddie tells Dinah that Kurt will be taken care of and that is all Dinah really worries about. But Batgirl tries to tell her there are other important things they need to discuss. Claudine is one of the loose ends and she explains that Basilisk forced her to work for them. And while Batgirl seems on edge since she was made to see her hopes and dreams. Claudine says she doesn't see what the people she affects does. So don't worry about it, Batgirl. Condor believes her since he saw Claudine actually hooked up to machines while in the Basilisk cell. This then gives Batgirl the chance to demand answers from Condor. We are then treated to a wonderful origin story within this page. He was recruited into the NSA at a college because they thought a Native American could naturally be a code talker. <laughs> it actually oh my says God. that. I guess that's... It does. I don't know. Is that racism? I can't tell. Probably. He was good at languages, uh, but he started getting debilitating headaches, and the NSA cut him loose. He reached the end. He walked to the bridge. He saw George there, and he was ready to commit suicide because he uh, he couldn't live with that. Is his name George? I thought it was George. The moose. <laughs> <Wasn't> it? <laughs> the character. Yeah. 
he reached the end. He was ready to jump. And he actually did jump. But then out of nowhere, Sikwan flew, boop, caught him and picked him up. And he knew Sikwan because he had been monitoring her since he thought she was just another Russian agent. He was drugged, so hello, and brought to the Basilisk compound where he learned about his powers, trained with Hammerdown and Whipcrack, and then became a part of the team. He forms a relationship, wiggle wiggle, with Sikwan. <laughs> <laughs> wiggle wiggle? <laughs> I see. You know, I wiggle. Uh, learned about Regulus and went on basic missions that had them searching for bad guys. So he was okay with it. But once he had to kidnap an old healer and watch Regulus drain her life out of her, he was out and started helping others held against her will to escape. Siglon betrayed him and he ended up in a hospital with the scientist that he helped escape. And the scientist uh, helps him create wings, which he could use to fly. And that's when he met the birds in Japan. So, hey! The birds vote whether they will still allow Condor on the team. So, flashback to Justice League when Hawkgirl's on the chopping block. And, you know, all are fine with it, but Dinah's like, psh, I don't even care. She goes to see her husband and it appears that he's practically brain dead. And the scientists working for Eddie don't really understand the equipment he is hooked up to. So Condor goes off flying. He's really upset that Kurt's still alive because he doesn't get a chance with Dinah now. When he gets back to the ship, a detective, Ed Wallace, formerly of GCPD, tells the birds that the city has gone silent with no violence. So what's going on? The birds plan to investigate, but Dinah wants to stay with Kurt. Batgirl tells her that Dinah has always said protecting people was her mission and she needs to ignore her personal problems and do what it takes to be a leader. Dinah will not abandon Kurt again and she quits. So that's basically the lead up to Gothtopia. So next up we've got Gothtopia Presents the new improved Wings of Truth. Why is that live Love Lucy? I don't know. Oh, okay. So what are your thoughts on this mysterious benefactor, Eddie, a.k.a. Mother Eve? Kind of mixed as well. Uh, I thought it's an, I don't know, a very mixed, actually. It's, it's an interesting idea, but, like, I, I don't know. I really wanted more explanation for her. She's like, oh, I, I can live forever, don't you know? And, um, I don't know. It, it, it kind of felt to me, it was a cool idea, but it was so randomly inserted there that I kind of wanted a bit more elaboration for that to be more of the issue than just, you know, a half-panel backstory back uh, encapsulated in, like, three three panels. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's it's cool, but, like, I don't like the way they kind of just, like, threw it out there, like, you know, never spoke of it again, virtually. I mean, she kind of like, sets it up for, like, the whole Rachel Ghoul thing. Mm-hmm. Is that, you know, my, my genes, you know, kind of can kind of give birth to metahumans and stuff. Are we just supposed to get, get, take on the fact that she's just born like that? It's just, I don't know. I, I'm, yeah. I, I want it more, and I didn't get it, so that kind of dead in my enjoyment. Yeah, I, I certainly agree. I do like at least uh, that we had seen a little bit of her in, in previous issues, few and far between. But at least she was planted a little bit. Okay. So that gives me the thought at least that, you know, the author knew that she was going to pop up. But, yeah, once we get into her, you know, Condor gets more of a backstory than she does, really, which I guess is fitting. But, you know, I do kind of want to know more about her history, and it would have been cool to see if she had any interactions with Vandal Savage or something like that. But, you know, really, what is her... We, we don't really learn what she wants with the birds. Like, why did she help them out? Is it just because she has this, like, connection to them and that Don and Condor, I may be your great-great-great-great-great-granny 
And <laughs> I don't know. So I want to feel connected to you or like what's the end game? And, and we don't really – they get there. She explains. We don't really know what she wants though. So I do have an issue with that. Uh, what do you think about the intro of Rachel Ghoul and – and what this, I mean, that's, I guess, the only hint of something's going to happen with him. But this is, I'm trying to think here, but is this the first time we've seen him in New 52? I can't remember. I'm sure. Um, I don't know. I don't remember if you're actually there when we covered it, but like the last issue of Batman Incorporated. Oh, where, okay. uh, he, uh, Does that count said, as New 52, though? They referenced Zero Year, so oh, I, I, think it, yeah. I think it should. Yeah. I know it's kind of a gray area, but like his... You'll pay for this, Batman, after after killing my uh, daughter, even though you didn't, and killing my son, even though you didn't, and I'm going to clone Damien. <laughs> and then like, I, I believe that's the last time we saw him. So I was actually wondering. Okay, I should I should uh, amend that because I I know that the League of Assassins has been referenced a lot in Red Hood and the Outlaws. I don't know. I I really don't know because I've just not been reading it. I kind of fell behind on the point five casts. I do not know if he's regularly appeared in Red Hood and the Outlaws. He may have. And that's so, about to be. Isn't that can't? No, that's Teen Titans. That's getting canceled. <laughs> Either way, I'm smiling. I think that like this isn't his first appearance in New Fifty Two, but I also am questioning why he's dealing with this sort of like Birds of Prey thing when he mm-hmm. seems pretty. He seemed pretty upset at Batman, so I was wondering why all of a sudden this this random story takes precedent. I I don't know why he would go after the birds. I don't know what his connection is with Eddie and and what that is, but just like the Bob Barton and the old stuff we watched, I mean, he only has basically a page and we don't he's been waiting for this time. So what does he want? Who knows? And we're going to go into Gothtopia, which will have nothing to do with it and then we'll be back. So I don't know if this is his best introduction, really. What do you think about Condor's origin? I don't know if you were still around. No, I guess we did drop this book pretty early on, so I guess... Um, yeah, but it was, we, we dropped it before uh, he came in the book, but I've, yeah. I also read issues where he's been in the book. Okay. Um, that being said... <laughs> well, I mean, here's the thing. It's like, like, like this is my origin story. You know, when I was young and sexy, I was I was attracted for the, this think tank, which was the best thing ever, in this case, NASA. Um, NSA, not NASA. Oh, yeah, and I, I meant to say NSA. And, like, the fact that it says... Well, since I was Native American, they thought I could. T- Are you kidding? And like, I don't know. I, to me, it feels it, it feels very much like familiar territory. The whole, you know, I try to commit suicide as as the majority of these characters do, and it didn't work. <laughs> so, then, so then I became a superhero, and then you know this happened with uh, Poltergeist. It felt convoluted and kind of confusing me. Um, I didn't. I, I had no real reaction to it. Uh, I thought it just. It, it felt like. It honestly felt like a an origin story from a character from like the Jim Lee '90s era of X Men, and I, I'm not sure if that's because of the Magneto esque helmet he's wearing, mm-hmm. but I really didn't have a reaction to it. No emotional reaction, and like I mean, I thought it was kind of stupid and goofy, but I, I wasn't like I'm not going to like make a big point out of it. But uh, what did you? Th- what are your thoughts? Because those are actually more important than mine. Uh, <laughs> that's so nice of you to say. Uh, you know, I guess we probably would always expect to hear, like, what his origin is, but it just seems like such a timeout from the entire story. Like, timeout, let me mm. tell you, you know, let me... That's a nice way to put it, actually. ...spin you a tale. Uh, that it, like you said in the last episode, that uh, it, it just was like, uh, okay. I mean, it was interesting. I think it was due. Like, we need to know about Condor. But with all of this stuff going on, did we really need to take a break and be like, I'm gonna, I need to tell you what's been going on with me. So, I, I feel torn on it. I, I think it's, it, it was needed. We need to know about him. And, of course, 
for trust to continue in the team, but uh, it just seems like mm, it's it's a little too like misplaced, I think, in this issue. So. Yeah, Batgirl's like, you know, you need to tell us what's been going on, Condor. Yeah. Yes, I'll tell you everything. It all started when <laughs> I graduated from college, and it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. My, my biggest complaint, I think, with this issue is that there is just too much going on. And not yes. a lot of it made sense. Uh, we're, we're continuing this story with Kurt Lance, which has been going on for at least a year now. I mean, I think we were still covering it on TBU when Kurt, when we found out, you know, Kurt was alive or Dinah murdered him, whatever. And then the Basilisk, that went on, I think, for an issue too long. And now we have this weird transition period with this Eddie. And now we're going to go into Goth Toby. So just a lot going on. You know, mysteriously uplink. Ha- she made it out of the basilisk cell, which you didn't read that. But I mean, how how was she like hooked up? She made it out. Did other people escape? How did, how did she get out? How did Eddie find her? I I just more about Eddie, and you know how is she so powerful? How is she allowed to have a base in the sea? I mean, you'd think the government would probably oh be like. God. I, I think the government would take issue with that. So I wonder what that's about. You know, a thrown in origin issue, really, or two origin stories. Rachel Ghoul shows up and he's somehow all connected to this. Dinah's freaking out. The team is again, again disintegrating. This is like the fourth or fifth time, and that's not an exaggeration. Whatever happened to um um I know that um Ivy, Katana, those two characters left. Starling left. I was gonna say I, I remember Starling was in cahoots with Freeze, right? Yes. And did she die? No, she's still alive. I think she left. She just she's peace out. Um why did Katana leave? She she had her own series and she's going to join the Justice Society or the oh, Justice. Right. Remember? Yeah, and uh, Ivy would you was a uh, would you believe it a supervillain? Yeah. <sighs> this so book okay, is, yeah. This book is insanely convoluted. <laughs> Not insanely so, but like <laughs> it's just like yeah. it really. I mean, I remember when we when this first started, I was really really digging it. Yeah. He had this like, really interesting mystery and like you know the guy's head was chopped off and like they, they kind of oh it was the wrong guy and then they dropped that it was like around issue five or whatever. Arc. Yep. And then they dropped that story and like did they ever pick up back up with that again? No, I don't know who. We still don't know who the real choke was if that wasn't the real choke. <laughs> that sucks. I mean I don't know it's doing Straczynski's <laughs> like. But I mean it's like I come to these issues now and like you know I have no I have really no reason to understand what's going on. But from what I gather, it, it it's just like so much info dumping, and like you know, I'll tell you my origin. You know, I am Eddie. Like, I'm. I, here's here's my thing. You cannot give us uh, two characters' origin stories in the same issue. That just yeah. bogs everything down. Yeah. Whether they're good or not, that just that seriously bogs down the issue. And if they're not revealing anything major, and if they're if they're if their origins are so much that, like, you know, they're told in tiny panels and, like, you know, two pages, then they aren't worth telling, honestly. I mean, my, my mo- the most, the biggest thing I took away from this issue was um, Uplink's hair, which reminds me of ice cream, and I kind of like it. But, like, uh, there's so much, uh, there's so much, like, I don't know, like, like angst between Black Canary and Batgirl. Again! Which, I mean, I understand it. Like, you know, oh, my, your husband's not the most important thing right now. I mean, I get the story, but it's like, do we have to have that story? You know, I mean, I understand. I understand why they're acting this way. I don't like seeing them acting this way, but I understand why. But like, what I don't understand is the intrinsic. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's it's, it's Donovan rant time. It's just okay? more of the new, it's just more of the new Fifty Two, like you know, style of you know, these characters can't be happy unless they're yelling at each other. That like, it, it's just boring now. I, I mean, I'm not. I wasn't interested in this story. I was just bored by the fact that they always got you know, she quit the team. Oh no. Like, um, 
don't know. I, 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 didn't, I, I didn't care for it. Yeah, I mean, well, they've had these issues before. That's something that I've enjoyed about the team is that their struggles to sort of fit in and like, hey, let's throw this supervillain in and see how what's going to happen. And, and hijinks ensued. And I feel like uh, <laughs> there's a lot to be said and, and I think a lot of good stuff to come out of struggles within a team and trying to like find the right way to work together. But once you do it time after time after time, you're losing members. You're not really finding like a good flow and everything. You throw on a guy, which I have nothing against the male like sex, but I feel like the birds sure? of prey just um, it, it doesn't. And I didn't like it in Gail Simone's last volume. I, I just don't really like males on the team. I never liked Hawk. You know how many times I complained about him on the the show. Oh, so yeah. to, I mean, Condor, he's okay. He's not as angsty as Hawk, but I just would rather like a dynamic of, you know, a bunch of females um, together and seeing how they work out. And now like Dinah is giving up. Who's going to be the leader? Like it even says that on the cover. Like how are the birds of prey going to continue and on? You know, if there's no leader to lead them, um, and it just is like too much. I wish we could find some sort of status quo. And like leave it there, and then have conflict somewhere else, not within the team. But let's like make a good story. So I do agree with you that it's just yeah, it's gotten too much. But I don't know how they fit all of this stuff in 22 pages. All the stuff that happened in this issue, how is that even possible? They could, they couldn't fit it all in there, which is why it wasn't it didn't read well. I'm gonna call you on something though. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna check you. When you say that like like uh, as as though you're not against the male sex. You're not really a fan of males being on the team. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not saying, like, you know, my favorite interpretation of the Birds of Prey included males, because it doesn't. I'm, I'm, <laughs> let's do a little social experiment. I think that, like, that might just be in terms of the, uh, how the characters are written or how the characters play off each other. Because when you have, like, uh, female characters on, on a major, majority male team, it's all about how the characters play off each other, mm-hmm. you know? Like, like they, they don't have to be, like, romantic interests for each other, but, like, how do they interact? And I'm wondering, does Condor have a separate relationship with... I forgot the characters in the, the uh, Strix. Does, does he have a separate relationship with Barbara? Does he have a separate relationship with Dinah? That that makes a team member. That doesn't make you like you know just a fill-in guy to say that he's a Birds of Prey character. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering. I'm wondering. I, I imagine that probably is the thing rather than like you know just the presence of a male team in the comic book. Do you would you agree or do you think that like that that generally does throw off the vibe of this? Like, no, you know, I, oh, I agree. Yeah, but he doesn't really have. Uh, I mean, you put him on there. My issue is that like you throw a man on a female team, and you're all of a sudden going to be like, yep, there's going to be some romance here. Mm-hmm. And not to say that there's not been romance in the Birds of Prey before, but it's always been outside the team. But now you're going to have these weird dynamics. And you saw Condor flying around for a page and being, like, really frustrated that Kurt was still alive because he was thrown in and there's this weird, like, he kissed her very forcefully. And I'm like, what is going on? This is what's going to happen. And really the only person he has a relationship is, in fact, Dinah because he tried to force himself on her like that. But, you know, there's nothing. He doesn't really have that much of an interaction with with uh, Batgirl or Strix or anything. So, I mean, take him off and you've got, you know, a potential for a pretty good team there. I don't know. But but I do agree. I mean, it's the character not necessarily like him being a man to be on the team. Okay. I, I, I honestly didn't think that uh, it would be because, I mean, I remember, wasn't there, uh, there was all those two, those there was those two guys in the last version, in like the Brightest Day version. I forget their names, but like they were there, and I remember those. They were there like earlier in the Birds of Prey history, where people I don't remember people had a strong opinion about them. 
That's not, that's, not, that's not their hero there. I Yeah, I don't know. I guess all my favorite Birds of Prey team members have, have always been, you know, like the origin, like the good stuff, you know, the original with, with um, Black Canary. And and it all started off with just Oracle and Black Canary. And or- Black Canary did not know who Oracle was. It was just like she would call her up and talk to her. And then Power Girl worked a little bit. And then, like, some really bad stuff went down. And you threw in Huntress and Lois Lane and, and Catwoman. Like, it was very Heroes for Hire yes. almost. Yeah, it, it wasn't. And then we had this actual team went back – Black Canary knew who Oracle was, and and Huntress was on there, and and those were just my my favorite times, and and I like Birds of Prey because Batgirl is actually Batgirl on this for me, like she's actually a stronger character, and I think better written, and I like her in the team dynamics, and we're not focusing on her problems, but the reason why I've not liked Batgirl focusing on Batgirl's problems is the reason why I'm having trouble with Birds of Prey now because we're really focusing on Dinah's issues, and like she gets all bent out of shape now with Kurt. And I feel like the same thing with Condor. Like maybe we should kill Kurt off because then we won't have to deal with this anymore. So this is going on for years, but I'm surprised we talked so much about this one actually because I'm like, oh, this isn't a very good one. Uh, would you give? What would you give it at a ten? Five. Five, yeah. I'm going to give it a six, which I think is one of the lowest I've given Birds of Prey. But it's just time to move on. I, they need to cut something. I don't even know. But, yeah, you know, I was thinking as I was reading Detective Comics 28, again, you know, this is like the third time I've mentioned it in this episode for some reason. But Poison Ivy's helping Batman out. And I'm just, like, looking at Poison Ivy, and I'm like, you know what? I've really liked Poison Ivy in this new 52 run. I feel like I've respected her more and enjoyed her more as a character now than I've ever had and I think part of the reason is because when she was on Birds of Prey and I loved the beginning of it and, and seeing her and everything that that love has sort of carried me through and, and so whenever she pops up I enjoy seeing her except in Arkham War because I really have no idea what's going on in that uh, that comic so we continue to review it. The final comic that Donovan and I are going to talk about uh, was actually emailed to me because um, otherwise it was not on my radar but Chris, who does the Batman 66 review, he said, you know, have you read Movement Number 9? And Gail Simone writes this as well. And, and I did not read the movement. And he said that, you know, Batgirl plays a pretty significant role in that. And, and at least the end uh, is something to take note of. So I thought at least, you know, we can talk about what happens in the end. And, and Don, if you do want to, you know, summarize just what happens. But honestly, people, if you don't know what's going on, don't feel bad. Because I really had no idea what was going on except for catharsis who i recognized and of course batgirl but um yeah don what what happened in this issue okay i'm going to go as best i can so (laughs) (laughs) and and you don't have to are you sure you want to yeah no yeah i I can do this i can do this basically i'm not going i'm not going scene by scene because some of these scenes we really don't have to talk about because they involve the movement storyline which we don't need to really know about right basically batgirl is drawn to coral city uh the setting of the movement comic She's tracking down this character called Reese Cahill, who is a uh, is a young guy who she's chasing for a crime or whatever, and he has some sort of power, like some sort of sunburst energy power, that uh, after he's attacked by Batgirl, he sticks on her. So she's basically chasing him through the city. Basically, uh, she ends up at this church called Angel's Hand Presbyterian Church, where she uh, uh, sees the pastor and says, I need to talk to the movement because they are the only ones that can get me this man. Somehow she knows that. Uh, and I'm, I'm not going to question that because she might. Um, uh, the movement characters arrive, and I don't know their names. And um, 
One of the catharsis, and just to note, like catharsis was working with Nightfall and the Disgraced. Yes. With uh, you know, in Batgirl, and I'd even recognize I did not even recognize that she had left that group, even though we had recently seen. Uh, and I don't really understand what happened, though she does explain that. But just like a mention that she is a crossover or tieover from the Batgirl series. Catharsis, a character who spells the name Catharsis with a K. Yep. Because poor literacy is cool. Well, is it Catharsis <laughs> actually a Greek word, so the K would be a kappa? You would know Greek girl. <laughs> Doesn't always because I'm a downer when I bring knowledge into the podcast. So Catharsis shows up in the church and they have a, a bit of a tough tussle. Batgirl knocks the crap out of her and she like can't even get up. So they says, "Okay, I summon my uh, deadly rats." Uh, this this guy named Mouse does this, and they say, oh, "We're not going to hurt you. Uh, so let's go get some donuts and milkshakes and uh, talk this out." So they do so. The, uh, Barbara's – they're actually having a friendly conversation, but Barbara essentially says, I'm not leaving until this guy's here. I don't care what your uh, you know, your liberal reasonings are. So uh, they're like, all right, that's it. Catharsis? So Catharsis like, you know, KTFO's Batgirl. And um, this is I, – I have an idea. We need to unmask the Batgirl. Yes, which is really the, the big thing is, you know, is she going to be unmasked? She's sitting there on a diner table. So, I'm surprised anybody cares. Um, and that's essentially it. That's, a, that's the big splash page at the yeah, end. She's yeah. like out cold and she has milkshake all over her, kind of. Okay. Yeah, thanks for bringing that into it. Makes me want to sing that Khalees song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, all I have to say is, number one, if you're beating somebody up and she's about ready to die, Willard style. Uh, Willard's that movie with the rats, the guy can control. Why are you going to invite her to go milkshakes? But I, I guess really the main point of it is the fact that she's chasing this guy down. Not really sure why, but she's about to be unmasked. What's the likelihood, do you think, of this happening? Which it did happen in the pages of, uh, of Forever Evil to Nightwing. So do you think this will happen? And if so, what could the repercussions be of her being unmasked? I think Forever Evil has proven that there will be no repercussions because how many months ago did that happen and everyone reacted to it in that in that in that scene and since then we've had except for Forever Evil we've had zero like response like I know Batman's been shown but like in the Nightwing comic itself that's not been addressed until like the last issue which apparently is the last issue of the story that should have major repercussions and it doesn't and honestly it's not so much like you know her identity being revealed as people finding out her identity how famous is Barbara Gordon will they even know who Barbara Gordon is. So I don't I don't really care because I I don't really see like a, a disastrous result from this. Okay. Do, do you, do you think, think it'll happen? Do I, um, maybe or maybe not. I mean, there's there's a there's honestly a fifty fifty chance because with Batgirl she could have a sort of gadget in her face in her, in her face and her um, oh, mask to like you know like, yeah. keep that from happening. Uh huh. So I mean, true. it's yeah. it's not really like a thing that like I don't know. I mean, it's. Characters being unmasked is not the huge cliffhanger thrill that it used to be mm-hmm. for various reasons. Because, like, I mean, honestly, like, like secret identities, I think, are still an interesting uh, tangle in the comic book jo- uh, superhero genre. But just in the way they, they're kind of done, either nobody knows this one character's secret identity or some people do. And I think uh, – here's the thing. It would have been a bigger deal if they unmasked her at the end of the comic rather than leaving it as a cliffhanger whether they're going to do it. It's like, will they do it or won't they? Like, they say they're going to do it, but the fact that they don't do it right then and there kind of says, like, you know, maybe this is just a way to end the issue as opposed to an actual story point. And that's sort of like in the storytelling of that, of how they got to that point. But um, do you think it's going to be a big deal? Uh, I, I think not as much. Yeah, I agree with you that not as much as, as it could have been. 
in, in past years. But I think it will really big, be a big deal if this actually happens uh, for her relationship with Commissioner Gordon. Because obviously we had that cop-out before that he turned away and didn't want to see who it was. So if it's oh. plastered everywhere, or if it's revealed, or I mean maybe it just stays in that little diner and, and this group knows about it, the movement knows about it. I, I think it's only going to impact impact a small number of people, but not really be worldwide. But I I, I don't think I think um, Simone will hold back and 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 not have this happen. Yeah, I just I mean like uh, I was actually surprised that like I honestly thought that when she was talking about the movement, I guess I wasn't paying attention. But uh, when this book came out, I honestly did not think it was going to be in the DC universe. So that was kind of interesting because I, I do like issues where. Uh, mainstream heroes do get into a lesser-known t- uh, character's title. Those uh-huh. are kind of interesting. So in, in that sense, it was interesting to see Batgirl uh, meet these characters. I, I, I may have told you, I got, I got a real milestone vibe out of this book. And I think it's just because of this sort of like really low-rent sort of like level that these superpowered characters have and the different personalities. Um, I, I felt that like Simone was really trying to channel Dwayne McDuffie, or at least the milestone books. They weren't all written by Dwayne McDuffie. <laughs> Unfortunately, I didn't like it as much. We might get into it a little bit later. Yeah, and I don't know if the movement has as much of a new reader appeal. Uh, maybe it was just this particular Do you know issue, what it's, but it's I. Would you say? What 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 is the movement like? What is the premise of this of this title? I have no idea. Okay, well never mind. Should I look it up? The movement. Uh, yeah. Uh, it came out. I remember with that one, the movement. It was coming out at the same time as another one. Hmm. The launch of new monthly and politically charged. Yeah, let's see here. Politically the charged. Back in February. The green team, <laughs> yeah. Talk like that all the time. The green team was, what, that one? The green team was the one that was the one I was talking to you about. Uh, I said, like, there's another one, but it deals with money. That was the, It was the green team. I don't know if that one's still going on. Let's see what this says. So back in February, the Huffington Post announced the launch of the new ongoing monthly and politically charged series, The Movement. Hitting stores next month, The Movement Number 1 comes to you from the creative team of Gail Simone and Freddie Williams II. The fun of something like The Movement, this is Gail Simone, I assume, is that it's a logical extension of how citizens who aren't media giant journalists, Gotham billionaires, or mythical princesses view the way power works in the DCU. How does someone feel when the world is full of superheroes, but all problems of the world still exist? I don't think the book is about liberal versus conservative. It's about values that comics have always been about. The struggle against injustice on behalf of the little guy, the powerless, and the innocent. That's- <laughs> <laughs> why, why, why are you building up? <laughs> Because I'm absolutely in love with the core cast. I think they're fresh and thrilling. And unlike the characters in any other comic. That said, sharp-eyed readers have already spotted two familiar characters. Catharsis, the brutal Avenger from the popular night, popular Nightfall arc in Batgirl. And Tremor, a wonderful badass character who appeared in the pre-new 52 Secret 6. It's a cast of favorites for me. I haven't had this much fun with the cast since the Secret 6. All that to say, I have no idea what it's about. Uh, from what I gather, it's essentially like, you know, a mix between Runaways and New Mutants and, and every other, like, you know, young people get powers story ever. And, like, I mean, again, I've not read the story, so you, I cannot say, like, you know, this is why I don't like it. But <laughs> the way she describes it, like, oh, this is what it's like when, you know, Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman don't get superpowers. I mean, they kind of, like, I understand that, like, those characters are golden age from the from the 30s and 40s that are, you know, they, they stem from very, very outdated modes. 
But I feel that's a very pretentious way to sort of a, a address the superhero genre because you're, you're casting aspersions on the fact that like these characters are outdated in in their personality and that people wouldn't act like that now when you write these characters all the time. I mean, I feel that like maybe that's maybe maybe she's misquoted or maybe that's like a misinterpretation of what she was saying. But like, I don't like I do not like that sort of like approach towards people with powers. I mean. I understand, like, you know, not everybody's going to react the same way, but she's kind of laying out as a, this is a more realistic take on people with superpowers. And that, to me, feels just kind of, just douchey. Apparently, Zach Wilkerson of Multiversity Comics wrote that Simone does a lackluster job of selling the necessity of the movement as a group. One of several problems with this opening issue, talking about the first issue, and Doug Zawizza of Comic Book Resources gave the book 1.5 out of 5 stars, Whoa. writing that the movement feels like a loosely connected collection of notions which together compile an incomplete and not particularly compelling story none of the characters wow me so would you believe uh, uh, was that for a recent one <laughs> these are from at least the um first issue and this issue that we're talking about is issue nine so maybe so. it's gotten better i mean i honestly can't i really had no idea what was going on except well, that the guy at the end seemed like static shock what what um uh, no but i mean uh you Matt- don't think so? <laughs> I said at the end, just that panel, if everything, if it was completely out of context, you don't think that looked like Static Shock? Uh, maybe. Aha! Aha! Well, uh, just to give the benefit of the doubt, Matthew Santori Griffith of Comicosity said that, uh, giving the issue 9 out of 10, the superheroic extension of the Occupy movement is far more than the narrative, narrow worldview. The, the book introduces a diverse characters of, a cast of characters, both ethnic and personality and powers, and the title blends cynicism and optimism, creating an environment that is complex and deeply intriguing as our very own. So those are three reviews for the uh, first issue, and uh, they kind of lay about the premise, which to me it sounds like it's very... And this kind of gets into like uh, the um, writing of this comic, and that like... I was I was kind of holding off because there were certain vestiges of Batgirl number twenty seven which I could have mentioned this but I I would save it for the movement because I I didn't like this issue as much and that like I just and I'm wondering whether this is even appropriate for me to say because I, it's not anything new but I do not like Gail Simone as a writer I'm sorry I just like and it has nothing to do it really does not have anything to do with politics because I I think I I ascribe to her political stance more so than oppose it. I don't it's, really understand how politics came into play in this issue. Um, Did you see it at all? Not this issue specifically, but okay. I think like, the general premise of the, uh, the idea of, like, you know, lower-end people getting superpowers and, like, the illusions of the Occupy Wall Street movement, which is, you know, outdated. Just, like, the, this, the style of writing really, really ticks me off. It's just... It just feels like... Uh, uh, there's a line where a character goes like, you know, you need to wash your junk for one thing, compadre. You smell like a rat's nest on you. And it's like, I, I don't know. And the and the the guy with like the like the uh, who's dressed like he's at a, he's he's from a, a boys' school, saying, um, uh, that boy is buck naked. I can see his I can see his teats. I shouldn't be in, in here. You are awash with carnal sin. I didn't know what that meant either. I just, I just like. I didn't know what's going on. Nobody talks like that. Maybe nobody talks like this. This this, this goes back with their stupid villains. It's like nobody says my dearies. Like nobody talks like the way these characters do, and it feels as though Gail Simone's really, really championing an idea of like you know this is like you know the real world approach to comic books, and it comes off as incredibly pretentious and like very short sighted. That's why I don't like her Batgirl because her Batgirl just sounds like this really like like um this attitude riddle just character that does not at all sound like Barbara Gordon. It really does not. Like, she can sound like Barbara Gordon in any other title, even if I don't like the character in there. And, and it's more akin to, like, 
than like how she writes her here, and it's just I don't I don't like it. I mean, even if this this premise for this comic or this issue is interesting, the writing style really gets to me, and that's that's my main takeaway from this uh, comic book. I just I just it's 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 not so much like you know well Gail Simone was writing something else or it's Batgirl thing. It's just like her style of writing as it is now is not my cup of tea. Stella, what did you think? What did I think of that story? I think I already said I, I like I can't really give my con because I had no idea what was going on. Um, so just like in Batman Odyssey, when I like, I don't know if listeners think it's a cop out, but honestly, if I don't know what's going on, then I, I can't give good opinions. But it's not new reader friendly. So hopefully anyone who's been reading the movement has been reading it since number one because <laughs> but I did wonder, I'm like, wait, why is Catharsis in this issue? I thought that was kind of funny that she was pulled. Didn't get the connection with the Secret Six, so I'm glad that Simone gets to write a favorite character that she had before. Why Batgirl pops up over there, um, I guess it's good. Like you said, I think it, it does have some milestone ties. Let's, let's bring a popular character over there, but I don't know. It would have been more fun for me if it were some other like lesser-known team, I guess. Lesser-known team that I actually read about. And about the politics i don't know i didn't get a sense of that but i don't really understand what the book is really all about i think they like just kind of go back to the milestone thing because i don't i'm not sure if i explained it well enough that uh the reason i I gave this issue uh (laughs) oh man um the reason why i said that uh this reminded me of a milestone comic is that like uh the milestone books were sort of like a real they were more like a um I don't know. What I'm saying is that like they were they, they tended to have like a very like off off the beaten track approach to superheroes. Yes. Yeah. Like you know like, they they they're they're in a church like you know they go to this like a uh, place to eat donuts and stuff, and it felt like a, a more like you know what you might not expect from a superhero comic, but kind of approach to it rather than like you know just your average day t- uh, capes and tights kind of thing. But thing about that is that like 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 from what I've read, I'm not read every milestone book, and there's some I don't like, but there's some that I really like like Icon and Static where it felt a lot more like. An interesting, engaging, believable take on uh, a character, rather than like you know the genre, and this feels more like you know like oh let, let's oh I bet you didn't see this in, in your superhero comic book kind of writing, and that's that's just like you know whatever. There's there's better ways to write it, I think. So my the majority of my experience with with Static uh, is through the cartoon. Awesome. Which I which really that's how I came upon him. I, I think I've only known him as that character rather than reading anything about him. And uh, so I'm wondering, do you think this team could fit onto the the small screen and be a, a Saturday morning cartoon? <laughs> like I'd watch it. Um, oh my gosh. I don't. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. I mean. I mean. Again, they're kind of like the. Um, Sort of like New Mutants. I compared them to New Mutants and Runaways, and like they're young people with with uh, powers, and they're uh-huh. in particularly stupid costumes. So I mean, anything's possible. But like, I mean, I, I mean, I'm not really seeing a, a larger appeal. I I see a certain sort of element in there which I've seen before, which may appeal to people to to make it into a cartoon. But I don't really see anything intrinsically inherently interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, like with uh like with Static, you know, just, just you know, a kid with electric powers. Who doesn't want to watch that? With um let's say runaways it's just like these kids who learn that they have the, uh, their their parents are villains and they have powers and they try to like you know live with that that's that's a hook that's that can be interesting with new mutants it's like you know like like new mutant characters that are not the x-men that are trying to become the x-men that's that's there's interest in that you know teen titans young justice there's a certain hook that that kind of you know isn't just a superhero book and like 
I don't really get why um, uh, so many uh, like the whole like, oh this is the ninety nine percent of superheroes. It's like what exactly is that supposed to be like? They're supposed to be poor. Like I mean, I, I don't I don't get why that's supposed to be an appeal necessarily, mm-hmm. and and how that's supposed to last. Uh, a, a whole series because that's been like that was at least two years ago when people were talking about that sort of, that whole thing. I mean, it, this feels like a flash in the pan idea that cannot last longer than it already has. It seems like you really liked it. Tell us more. Uh, yeah, I, I don't really have anything else to say. You know, if you, if any listeners out there read the movement and 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 could could explain what's going on here, say or nothing. Say nothing. Well, I well I would like to know. I mean, this is like the first I've ever experienced of it. So, who I don't know. But uh, that's that's it for our reviews. Uh, I'm not gonna rate it because I really don't. There's I don't think there's a point. I will say that like I do like the cover. The cover's pretty good. And the cover's by uh, Rags Morales, which is yeah. A, a good I think we'll have to see what happens in number ten to see if she's really unmasked. And I'd be really shocked if Simone does in fact pull that trigger. But uh, like I said, I don't think it'll impact a great number of people. Not like Nightwing, but. Indeed. We shall see. Now over to Chris for the Batman 66 review. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Batman 66 review segment. Glad you could make it. Thanks for downloading. I'm Chris, and I'll be reviewing Batman 66, number 7, cover dated March 2014. This was for a hard copy release and was originally released in download format. Cover art by Michael and Laura Allred. The first story is entitled The Fiend is False and is written by Jeff Parker with art by Christopher Jones Colored by Tony Avina and lettered by Wes Abbott. Our story opens at Porton's Jewelers in downtown Gotham City, with Bruce Wayne selling a diamond necklace for $20,000. Discreetly explained to the owner, the money is to pay for bills that his Aunt Harriet has been running up around town. As he departs, Bruce is nearly cut off by the Riddler's car being pursued by Batman and Robin in the Batmobile. The Riddler shoots a liquid that sticks the Batmobile to the street. A bat fight ensues, but Robin is distracted by Bruce Wayne taking a sack of heist money from Riddler's car and Riddler and his men manage to get away. While getting the Batmobile dislodged, Robin explains to Batman that he saw Bruce Wayne. Our heroes regroup in the Batcave, and Batman surmises that the Bruce Wayne that Robin saw had to be their old foe, Falseface. Worse, Batman, as the real Bruce, gets a call from Commissioner Gordon saying that he sent Chief O'Hara to Wayne Manor to arrest Bruce Wayne for selling a fake diamond necklace to the jewelers. Meanwhile, Falseface, in a small blaze, in disguise as couriers, make off with the Tiger Topaz, previously seen in issue number 5, that Catwoman tried to steal. Falseface leaves a clue behind, which leads our heroic duo to Mount Rushmore. Reminiscent of the climax of Hitchcock's North by Northwest, where Falseface has impersonated President Lyndon Johnson. Batman and Robin close in on the villains, and the chase leads to the base of Mount Rushmore, where Falseface plans to detonate it. Batman distracts Falseface long enough for Robin to disable the detonator. Batman punches out Falseface just as he assumes the guise of Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> okay, now in the vein of a 60s DC letter writer to the editor, I had some nitpicks with this. Wouldn't the jeweler surmise that the diamond bracelet was a fake before buying it? And the Riddler and his henchmen took out Batman and Robin seemingly with not much effort, and there was no further mention of them after their triumph. I did like seeing a one-shot TV appearance villain like Falseface getting another worthy comic book appearance here. Malachi Throne portrayed Falseface in the 66 TV show in one of the more fast-paced episodes of the TV series. It appeared Falseface had the same hench people in this as well. Christopher Jones' art did a great job of depicting an Adam West Bruce Wayne. The book's other story is The Joker's Layoff Riot, 
Written by Tom Pyre, art by Derek Donovan, colored by Tony Avina, and lettered by Wes Abbott. After successfully stealing $20,000 from a taping of a game show called What's My Punchline and getting away from Batman and Robin, the Joker figures he'd profit more by reducing his staff and fires three hench people and his mall and decides just to work with one henchman. His first outing is a success when he manages to steal the receipts from a comedy show and wears a disguise as a woman. But he comes up short in his next outing dressed as a hippie college student at a bookstore. Okay, this was a silly story even by Batman 66 standards. The Joker did wear disguises on the 66 TV show, but seeing him in drag and then as a hippie with a headband and John Lennon-esque glasses here was a bit much. I thought it was a bit out of character too for him to consult with a henchman about a potential target with the bookstore. I don't think that's something that the Joker would do. The henchmen did wear their usual caps and vests. Overall, this issue fell flat for me. The characterization seemed a little bit off and there was no cliffhangers. While Fallsface was the main villain of the book, the Riddler got away without any concern. Even the Allritz cover didn't impress me like they usually do. I thought this was a disappointingly average issue, and I'm giving Batman 66 number 7 a total of 5 out of 10 bats. Will the next issue of Batman 66 be more to Chris's satisfaction? What Egyptian monarch will appear in the next issue of Batman 66? How soon will Batgirl or Barbara Gordon reappear in Batman 66? These and other questions to be answered next time. Same Stella time, same Stella sight. With one hint, the best is yet to come. Uh, next up we have Reading with Stella. presents Batgirl to Dare the Darkness by Doug Mensch, a story taking place in the Batman and Robin the Movie universe. Copyright 1997, Little, Brown, and Company, New York. Chapter 6, Dawning Dread. Barbara liked Roman Sionis, but she had to admit her boss could be slightly weird at times. He looked to be in his late twenties, as far as she could tell, yet he often acted a lot older. Maybe it was a strange air of intensity that could come over him without warning. And while he was good-looking on the surface, tall, athletically built, dark hair and eyes, somewhat rough but handsome features, there was something within him that sometimes caused a visible change, and not always for the better. Then there was that odd wandering of his eyes, as if he were searching for sights only he could see and the way he would hunch over and get lost in vague mutterings. It had actually spooked Barbara on several occasions. 
But even though the total effect could be unsettling, she was willing to chalk it up to nothing more than a series of quirks and eccentricities. Roman scientist was, after all, the cyberspace equivalent of a mad scientist, wasn't he? And he certainly was a genius. Why else would Bruce Wayne pay him so much to head up the CompuLink program? So a little weirdness came with the package. No big deal. Tonight, however, Barbara was really beginning to wonder about Roman. He was creeping her out way more than usual, whistling off key, abruptly smacking the side of a mainframe and laughing out loud, humming and singing strange tunes that she had never heard, that probably no one had ever heard. Maybe it was only because they were working after hours, alone in the huge Wayne Tech lab. Maybe Roman was just feeling loose. He was definitely feeling expansive. You know, Barbara, he suddenly said. She looked up from her work, startled by the loudness of his voice. In one way, I really envy computers. Uh, what way is that, Roman? He clucked his tongue, not even looking at her. In fact, he had yet to look in her direction at all, instead staring fixedly at the array of mainframes. Computers have no fears, of course, he gestured toward them. No worries or obsessions, Barbara. No distracting thoughts to get in the way of the task at hand. They have no emotions at all. It should have been a joke, but he seemed so serious that Barbara didn't quite know how to respond. She decided to treat it lightly, if not with a laugh. <laughs> but Roman, haven't you just listed practically everything that makes us human? Precisely, Barbara. And wouldn't it be wonderful to be free of it all? Nothing but clean, cool intellect? No messy feelings? Wouldn't that be wonderful, Barbara? Not for me, Roman, she said. Not at all. He finally whirled and stared right through her, his eyes huge. But just think, Barbara. Think if we could reach the brain slate and wipe it clean. Reprogram our minds from the neurons up. He was working his hands wildly, trying to grab the concept out of thin air and shape it into something real. Barbara was more than nervous now and tried to choose her words carefully. But you've said it yourself, Roman. The brain is not a machine. But it could be, he snapped. A miraculous machine of unlimited potential. And if every one of these miraculous machines were linked in parallel, every brain in Gotham, for example, millions of brilliant drones, all serving a single master controller. Think of what might be accomplished. He lunged right at Barbara and pounded his fist down on her desk. And with the right kind of radionics and delivery system, it could actually be done, Barbara. A signal of the proper frequency transmitted into every... Roman stopped short, as if just realizing the effect his words were having. Sorry, he said, his voice now meek and quiet. I sometimes get carried away in my flights of fancy. Nothing but pipe dreams, of course. And then he tried to laugh the whole thing off. Barbara tried to laugh along, but knew it sounded hollow. Feigning a headache, she excused herself early and quickly left the lab in the building. Outside, kicking her motorcycle to life, she was still left with an uncomfortable feeling. She had just seen a mass slip, and the face underneath had frightened her to the bone. She gunned the throttle, shifted gears, and shot out into the night. Barbara arrived back at Wayne Manor to find Alfred waiting up for her. Since Master Bruce and Dick are, uh, still out, the butler said, I thought we might have a talk, Barbara. We could even make some cocoa. Barbara wanted to beg off, to be alone while she thought through what had happened at the lab. But Alfred was clearly troubled, and she just couldn't refuse the dear sweet man. Sure, she said, following him to the kitchen. What do you want to talk about? 
"'Actually,' he said, "'I'm rather concerned about Masters Bruce and Dick pushing themselves too hard. "'Why, just tonight, you saw, they didn't even eat.' "'He started warming milk for the cocoa. "'It's this black mask business, of course, and it's getting entirely out of hand.' "'He seemed more than concerned and almost angry.' Barbara took two mugs from a cabinet. How so? she asked absently, still dwelling on Roman's strange behavior. Why, the crime wave, dear. Haven't you been following the news? Black Mask's gang has grown to the size of a small army. And did you know that each and every one of them is apparently a puppet? Barbara spooned Coco into the mugs. Did, did you say puppet, Alfred? Indeed I did. Evidently the so-called false-faced society of Gotham lacks all semblance of free will. Alfred poured steaming milk into the mugs. Master Bruce feels they are much like drones in a hive mind, all controlled by black mask, obviously through those mysterious chips in their masks. Barbara was abruptly chilled, suddenly alert. If only the master knew who black mask is. Tell me more, Barbara said. She knew Alfred was trying to coax her back into the cave. It wouldn't work. But now, for her own reasons, she did want to hear what he had to say. Tell me everything. And he did almost lecturing about ELF waves and EDOM and RHIC, about the strange nature and odd targets of certain crimes, and the fact that not a single false facer could remember so much as his own name. Some of it Barbara was already aware of, but much of it was new to her. It was also disturbing, and all too familiar. Dark suspicions shot through her mind as she listened, and by the time Alfred started winding down, she was almost certain. So you see, dear... It's become quite a distressing problem. Masters Bruce and Dick could certainly use some assistance on this one, and I thought perhaps you might reconsider your decision to— Excuse me, Alfred, Barbara said, but, uh, Roman said some things tonight that I need to go over in my room. The butler seemed crestfallen, but recovered quickly and made a visible effort to brighten. Then all is going well, he said, with your work at Wayne Tech? Uh, yeah, Barbara replied. It's really, well, it's a terrific job. And she left the kitchen, heading for the stairs to her room. Thanks for the cocoa, Alfred. It was great. The butler peeked into her mug. She hadn't tasted a drop. Working overtime at Wayne Tech, alone after hours with Roman Sionis, was now at the very bottom of Barbara's list of favorite things to do. But she had to know whether her suspicions were right. Black Mask was using mystery computer chips to accomplish the opposite of CompuLink's goal as defined by her boss. Instead of making machines function more like the human mind, as Roman Sionis was supposedly trying to do, Black Mask was turning humans into robotic machines. One aspect of both processes was eerily the same, however. The creation of hive minds that obeyed a single master controller. In the case of Black Mask, that controller was evil. Was the same true of Roman Sionis? Was he somehow involved? She had to know. And so, when Roman asked her to work late twice in the following week, Barbara accepted both times. But her mind was heartily on the work. Instead, she secretly studied Roman himself, finding new and sinister meaning in each of his various quirks and eccentricities. She also studied the clock, anxiously awaiting the 15-minute breaks he took every two hours. And during each break, as soon as Roman left the lab, Barbara snooped. Her pace was frantic, her heart pounding as she went about her self-appointed mission. First, she left the lab and slipped into the personnel office to read the file on Sionis. During the next break, she examined CompuLink's requisition records on a hunch, comparing them with lab inventories. She even skimmed the papers in and on Roman's desk, reading as much as she could, wishing she knew the passwords to his private computer files, imagining his early return at any and every moment. 
She always had an excuse prepared, ready and waiting to be delivered with perfect innocence if need be. Oh, hello, Roman. I didn't expect you back so quickly. Listen, I need those specs on the new mainframe hard drives. Do you know where they might be? But she never was caught, and she did not like what she had found. Nevertheless, she tried to be completely objective about each shred of evidence, telling herself it could still be nothing but gigantic coincidence. Unlikely, yes, but innocent just the same. The capper came during Roman's last break on the second night. Rummaging through his bottom desk drawer, Barbara found a set of CompuLink blueprints. They were different from the ones she worked with almost every day. They had, in fact, been deliberately altered. But why would Roman modify the circuitry like this, she wondered, unless he planned to head something? Maybe something like a mystery chip? Barbara left Wayne Tech that night with her mind made up and not a single doubt blocking the way. She was certain she now had what she needed, a single answer to all the questions shaped in dawning dread to be continued. And now the literature recommendation. Now, if you recall, Donovan doesn't read a lot. He doesn't, hey. like, he doesn't like the English language. Anything that he gets really comes off of a cereal boxes. So this could I'm be... A- <laughs> across the wall. How dare you! So anything he says, just be, just go for it. Let's not be prejudiced. Uh, Donovan, do you have anything you would uh, like to recommend? I mean, it doesn't have to be a book. It could be, it could be a comic. No, no, I read. (laughs) 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 I would like to recommend, I I recommended this author last time. And I'm actually like, I'm legitimately like, uh, I have like two chapters left of this this next book. Um, That made you cry? Yes, well, it's not that book, but uh, it's uh, um, by the same author, okay. uh, Haruki Murakami, who is a Japanese novelist that I really enjoy. I discovered him in college. Uh, his most, I think, his most famous work I'm reading right now is called Norwegian Wood, uh, named after the uh, the Beatles song, and it takes its place in the uh, late '60s. In fact, like right now, uh, the year is 1970, and it's about a college student who uh, kind of falls in love with his uh, dead best friend's uh, former girlfriend and the hijinks that ensued from there. I say hijinks. It's very dramatic. <laughs> it's, 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 it's good. I, it's still, I, don't, I still like Sputnik Sweetheart better because that's that, one of my all-time favorite novels. I actually reread that. And I, I actually listened to the audio, audio book of it recently and nearly burst into tears <laughs> as I was driving home from work. And um, this is... I'm not enjoying this as much, but I still, I still am into it. I, I still enjoy it. I still think it's an actually well-read, well-written book. Um, I will say this, though, because this, this, this has to be said. Uh, otherwise, Stella might try it out and like might yell at me later. There is a lot of sex in it. And it's not a very sleazy book, but it actually explores human sexuality around that time. That actually drives the story. And it actually drives a lot of the psychology of the characters, and like you know why they're attracted to certain things or how they feel about certain people and it's actually it's it's, for all intents and purposes a very mature book and i do know it's the only one of murakami's novels that has been adapted into a movie because i know that the uh film adaptation is on netflix which i'm going to watch as soon as i finish this book you know a lot of people like it i mean i like Cart better but like this is more famous of the novels and um, I would suggest people give it a try to see what they think. Norwegian Wood by Haruki Murakami. Take that, Stella. You say I don't read anything. You say all I, want, all I read is yeah. cereal boxes. So, you know. So, the dust jacket may be Springwood. What is it called? Nor- Norwegian Wood? <laughs> yeah, you were close. The, <laughs> the, 
the dust jacket may read Norwegian wood, but I'm now after his little, you know, I'm pretty convinced that it's actually Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> or Bruce and Zadia nice in there. No, that's that's not true at all. It's just it's it's all text and no imagery to uh to satiate you uh salacious listeners out there. Salacious, wow, wow. I don't know if I have a new one or not. I did recently get Batman and Son the trade, so I'm looking forward to reading that. And I'm still trucking through a Dance with Dragons, which is the fifth and the the last one that's currently out on shelves, uh, George R. R. Martin, but I don't know. I, I guess I've come I- ill-prepared, so I'm glad Springwood, Norwegian Woods, <laughs> Norwegian Woods. She couldn't even try the second time. I'm sorry. Norwegian Wood. I, yes. Yes. And I do, maybe, you know, I've mentioned a couple times, so I do recommend checking out Detective Comics while John, I mean, it's his last story, John Wayman, so. All right. I would also recommend um, um, all new X Men because yeah, uh, they they had that trade paperback at a hardcover for twenty five dollars, and I was like, you got to be kidding! So they finally came out on soft cover, so I have the first trade of that. And I've been reading it for a while, and um, I've know that they're coming out with a uh, a an ongoing title featuring Cyclops. So that story's still going on, so I would recommend getting into all-new X-Men, because that's a pretty cool story that's going on. In yeah, I've been reading lots of X-Men. Wolverine and the X-Men, which I'll drop with its new number one, because um, I really like Jason Aaron, and I'm not, I'm not going to follow the new author that's coming on. All-new X-Men, X-Men, which is the all-female cast. Amazing X-Men, which has Jason Aaron, so I decided to try that on a lark. The Return of uh, Nightcrawler. Uncanny X Men. It's very weird, like X Men season. Oh, yeah. I think for me, but a lot of the X books are really hitting it out of the park, and they're really enjoyable. So I do recommend trying any of those for sure. Yep. Well, you know, it was great to have you on as always, and you you have um. I guess it's true that you've turned into to Zach. And I beg uh, your pardon. <laughs> you've turned into. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not one iota like him. You've turned into Zach. <laughs> I, I demand an explanation. <laughs> because, because now you're like my punching bag. <laughs> so I hope you enjoy listening to me on this show because it's the last time you'll ever hear my voice. What happens on? Will we get back together for Shipper Special Number Four? Uh, well, we have, um... A year. Yeah, we, well, yeah, we have a year until that, and we'll, we'll see whether I can still stomach you or not, uh, in all of your barbs. Or I might, uh, have you on for a TBU commentary, maybe? That's true. I mean, we've been, yeah, doing those, yeah. Or, um... Maybe, maybe, uh, I'll be, we'll be on a TBU special in the future. Mm-hmm. Or... Maybe I'll just give up podcasting all together and you'll never hear from me again. I don't know. Who, know, who knows what the future will bring? You know, I pimped you out in real life. I saw you money. I pimped you out. Yeah, you owe me a lot. There be There's a collection group coming. They should be knocking at your door any minute. I pimped you out in real life to some students about Dragon Ball Z. Your podcast. Uh, I, hope you said, I, hope, I hope you said something positive. 
Yeah, I told them they should check it out. Well, I said, have you ever heard of Death Note? And they're like, oh, yeah. Have you ever watched? You know, I talked to them a little bit about that. They haven't seen it, even though that's on my list. And then I asked about Dragon Ball Z, and they said, like, oh, yeah. And I said, oh, yeah, my friend does a really good podcast called The Next Imagine. You should check it out. Well, now that you mention it, yesterday uh, dropped episode 26 of Ooh, The Next Imagine. Yes. A Dragon Ball Z podcast uh-huh. hosted by myself and my friend and co-host, Mr. Jesse Garrett. Yeah. You can find that at dbcnextdimension.libson.com. And you can also find it on iTunes. There's also a Facebook page for it. Write us emails. Uh, we, have a, we have a very strong fan base. We are currently in the last story arc of the series, the, the most controversial story arc in the series. Um, so far, we've actually been enjoying it, but like we're at the part now where the plot really picks up. So you, Does that mean it's going to end soon? Yeah. The so la- what are the you going to do arc. afterwards? Cover the uh, god-awful live-action movie. Oh, okay. And um, there's actually a movie released uh, this past year, 2013, in Japan, which we will cover. And uh, we might, uh, we've had requests to talk about some of the video games, but like after this story arc, we will end the show. That being said, this story arc is over or nearly 100 episodes long. So we, we actually have. Oh, <laughs> you made it sound like it was like you're one episode away from being done. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, the, the series is 292 episodes long, and um, this, the last story arc in the series starts at episode 200, so we have a while. But there's a time skip and everything, and there's, there's, there's lots of uh, turning points, and this is the final arc in the, in the series before the, the author ended it in 1996. So we are at the end, but it's a very long end. Do you prefer Japanese with English subtitles or English dubs? Uh, honestly, it usually comes down to what I see first. Like, I mean, obviously, I saw uh, the American version of DBC. Although I've, I've, I was such a fan that I, I, I got the, my brother and I saved up money and bought some of the Japanese games and bought an emulator to play them. So we're used to the Japanese voices, and I like the Japanese voices fine. I don't really have a preference, although I am more used to the English version. There are some shows I like, like uh, for instance, I enjoy. Uh, Cowboy Bebop, which is uh, their English version, is actually very, very good. I enjoy, I'm more used to obviously the English version of Robotech more than the Japanese version of uh, Super Dimensional Fortress Macross, so it kind of depends on how I get into the series. Yeah, I I agree with you there. I think, I'm trying to think of like all the animes I've watched, which I've really not watched too many, but the one that I definitely prefer Japanese over American is Uran, right. um, because I started watching that in the Japanese form, and then I tried the English dub, and I'm like, ooh, I, I don't like this at all. But I watched like XXX Holic. I watched that. That was English. That was fine. But sometimes the English actors go like even more dramatic than the Japanese ones, and I don't like it. Yeah, so, sometimes they're good, and sometimes they're really bad. Yeah. And um, we're actually having a, an interesting dubbing experiment with uh, DBZ because like, there are multiple versions of it that, that oh. I'm forcing Jesse to watch. Oh my! Well, friends, listeners, companions, remember you can send any questions or comments, just like Jacob did. And if we know you personally, we'll put you on the chopping block. And we'll, we'll like basically did. critique you. Yeah, yeah, you bet. Uh, you can send any questions or comments to backroadoracle at gmail.com. Like me or this show on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at backroadoracle. And remember to like the Batman universe on uh, Facebook as well. Cha-ching, that's the sound of money coming from Dustin. Just kidding. Once again, thanks to my High Comics and Tweaked Audio for sponsoring Backroad to Oracle, the Barbara Grum podcast. Until next time, which will sadly be Donovan Free. So I have <laughs> you to say keep... sadly. Yeah, so next time will be Donovan Free, but got a special guest that I'm, I'm pretty stoked about that will do the, the next 
next issues. So until next time. Yes. <laughs> well, I think you say fly on, Babs lovers. It's true. I've only done it for 75 episodes. Yeah. 75th episode Bonanza. Just plain Barbara Gordon masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. <sighs> I love a happy ending, don't you? Yeah, you like Japanese and Chinese more than you like the English. Shut up. Do you ever wonder how we like are so friends after all of this? More than you think. <laughs> oh man. Just cut that all out. Just, just never, the signboard. Wait, really? <laughs> well, no, what if people don't know what it means? Oh, uh, I interrupted you to, to do a tangent, so I, I kind of feel bad about it. Well, you do that quite often. I'm just used to it. I apologize. <laughs> anyway. The fun of... Okay. Hello? Oh, I thought... I thought, I thought <laughs> <laughs> See was... a bunch of black well, not all of them. Like, I mean, there were, there were, like, zombie and um, other characters that were, like, you know, different uh, ethnicities. It wasn't all just, like, the love of the black books. But what I'm saying is there were, there were not many black people in this story. There was, like, two and a half. But, like, um... Are you okay? Are you going to make it? I don't think I can. All right. Go ahead. There are only, like, two segments left, and you're not even going to be a part of one of them. Well, I'm going to have to go around and Febreze the place, but after that. Um... <laughs> oh. Anywho, are uh, you okay? I, yeah, no, 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 this friendship is over. It's, it's been over so often. I know. Do you What's think it? if I was in a jungle and I stepped on a poisonous barb? Better be good. Yeah. But over across uh, the forest, Josh has been attacked by a shark. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's bleeding out right now. So you can either save me that I've stepped on a poisonous barb or go make a tourniquet for Josh. What are you going to do? Okay. Here's a scenario. <laughs> <laughs> If I save you, the only way I know how to save you by being poisoned by a bar, what's, uh, yeah, cut by a poison bar, <laughs> was to suck the poison out of your body wherever you were you were poisoned. Uh huh. With, with Josh, I guess I would have to like stop the bleeding or you know. Make a tourniquet. Make it yes, tourniquet. Um, which is more labor intensive? Uh, I'm not going to leave you real to die if I can't if I can help it, but it, it would depend on the proximity. And my state of mind, in terms of if I if I panic or not, which I don't I don't tend to panic. So, uh, you know, honestly, I would probably 
how poisonous are we talking? Because I'll probably save Josh because he's probably the, in the most in the in the most immediate danger. Oh my gosh. No, now I know how this friendship really is. Well, do you think that you would die faster? No! The answer <laughs> has been given. Fine. <laughs> if Josh and I were uh, hanging off of a ledge, uh, Batgirl Harley Quinn, Return of the Joker style, and you had to pick one of us up before the other person slipped up, who would you pick up? Wait. Who would you grab? Oh, who would I grab? Yes. I'd probably, I, I would grab you. That's what I want to hear. And I, I, don't, I don't need any other explanation. It doesn't That's... work because I'm already dead in a jungle. That's not the same scenario. <laughs> it's, it, can't... it's in continuity. <laughs> so we're all going to die randomly because we can't. <laughs> Basically, you let Josh live, but now you're both hanging off of a thing and, and Harley Quinn's got a big sledgehammer ready to pummel you. Did you ever get that pie? I beg your Oh, Dimmer's cake? Yeah. I tried it and it was too rich for me. It was way, way, way too too sweet. So I, I put it back. Did you give me a piece? How are you doing, Stella? Um I it's not so much I saved you a piece as I put it back. It's, it's whether he saved you a piece, so I have to ask him. Stop being disappointed in me. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna, be, we're gonna be in San Diego, and you're just gonna like, like cross your arms and shake your head. Go no, no, no. Do I really want to be in like this? I don't know, fraternity house kind of situation. Do these are like a frat house? <laughs> That's just what I'm imagining with like seven other. I've never lived with seven other people. Uh, neither have I, but like, I mean, I've I've been on trips that you know, like, like yeah. I've taken school trips where I share spaces with other people and stuff. But not that many, have you? Um, school trips, yeah. I mean, oh. like, uh, there was a sixth grade trip I went to. There's this place in Tennessee called Fall Creek Falls. You may have heard of it. And, um, uh, I, I, actually, I actually got, got beat up there pretty badly. What? But, um, Donovan, why do you have these really bizarre and violent stories? <laughs> because I'm a bizarre and violent man. Well, you explain that, and then you're going to go back to that story. Okay, well, I mean, um... Uh, What's your thought first that you were sixth grade? How many people were you living with? It wasn't I was living with, but like you know, the, yeah, we were in a room. Like, well, first of all, it was like the cl- it was like the whole male class, the sixth grade class, which is about forty kids. <clears throat> so like you know, we're all kind of like together in these certain rooms, and I was like sharing with, with I was together with four other kids or five other kids. So it was kind of varied. It wasn't as much as ten, but like I've been in there. I've been in uh, that kind of situation. In fact, like that's that's. Uh, one time, there someone was like throwing soap in the bathroom. Everyone was like running away, and I knocked my head into this uh, other kid, and I had this like gigantic like um, like a uh, billiards bar billiards ball sized knot on on my forehead, and like they took a picture of it. It was it was like a cartoon. That's how you got beat up. Yeah, well, yeah, there's that, that that and the fact that like um, I, I nearly froze to death. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> so you ran into a kid. This was an accident. No, 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 no. I wasn't like you know. I wasn't bullied and beaten up. No, no, no. I mean, I'm I got. A, I, I've I've never been like bullied and beaten up. I've gotten into fights, but I've never been like bullied. But um, I you know I I came back, I came back to to my uh to, to you know to my family, mm-hmm. like like bruised and disheveled and frozen. So how did you? Were you? outside you got locked out what happened it was inside and we were running around and like i i, I knocked my head in this kid and i flew back into like a nearby bed like a cartoon i'm not i'm not kidding and like uh oh my gosh. <laughs> and I, I don't know if i have an image of that because i was 12 
uh, or maybe eleven, uh, when that happened, and um, it was it was big. It was a big big knot, and I, I wasn't like crying or whatever. But it was like, it was, uh, I mean, what happened to the other guy? Uh, he was fine. So he was Superman. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. It may have like knocked into his big nose or something, but like. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, and yeah. how'd you get frozen? Um, we were, we were like rowing in canoes and like, um, like (laughs) I didn't fall in the water, but like, it was so cold that like, uh, it took, uh, you know, as kids, it took a lot more physical effort for us to kind of keep on rowing. And I, I I would slow down and like, like because I would slow down, the canoe would slow down. And so I was outside an exposed, uh, uh, environment longer, longer than everybody else. Like, you know, you get a point where everybody like, you know, rode to their destination before I did. And by the time I got there, like my skin was like an ashen blue. And um, like I was, I was chattering my teeth for a while, but uh, I, got, I got into Lincoln Park that year, or that, or, or on that trip, some kid had some kid had Hybrid Theory, and I was listening to that on the way back, and I was ch- I was chattering my teeth to the beat of the music. You have like the like stories that how do people get in this situation? I don't make this stuff up. No, you don't. That's the bad thing about it. <laughs> okay. You're trying to seduce me to get into, into your way. I can hear it. It wouldn't really be much of a seduction. That's true. You're just just trying to hypnotize me to it. It's pretty easy to um, get you going on off of Robotech. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like you know, I, it's like, I, I'm not gonna say, oh, Stella, she's that girl who like I don't know, uh, likes Tom Welling or whatever. I mean, that's just that's so narrow-minded that it doesn't that cannot matter. Yeah, yeah. Or you know, Donovan and his love for the Asians. The Asians. <laughs> <laughs> One woman. <laughs> Two years oh, out of my life. Year. That you didn't even know me back then. I didn't. Uh, I still remember that moment though that I asked you, Donovan, do you prefer Asians? <laughs> <laughs> I think that was our year too. I remember um, I was when I was going out with her. I asked you on Crawl Space as a girl who's into comics, what would you recommend? I remember that. Oh yeah, what did I recommend? Uh, I think you recommended Mary Jane loves Spider-Man. Or Spider-Man loves Mary Jane. I still recommend that. It's great. Yes. Although she never got she never got into it. Although she would come to come to me to the shop. She did, she did not know that Superman was an alien. I was like, what? Well, we can't all be Stella, you know. I know. I know. It's, it's, uh, it's a bummer. It's, it's a, it is a curse. It's true. It is true. Hey. Uh, can you turn the light on? I can't see in here. So Who is it? It's, it's Denmark. Ask him if he saved me a piece of his cake. Where y'all doing? I have no idea. Yeah, yeah, we're we're done. We're just we're just chatting. Um, is there still in that cake downstairs? Gave <laughs> 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 me a look. Uh, what type of look was it? He shrugged and said, "I don't know." And like a roll is, uh, I I something's supposed to happen. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna head off now before okay. it's too. Something's about that. Something's about to go down. <laughs> uh, thank you very much for having me on, and I'll hopefully yeah, talk to you, you soon. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, take care. All right, you too. Adios. Bye.